Thank you. We're live, Mayor. Recording in progress. I'd like to call to order the City Council meeting of November the 1st, 2022. City Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? Here. Councilmember Black? Here. Councilmember Curtis? Here. Councilmember Falcone? Here. Councilmember Pascal? Here. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Here. Mayor Sweet? Here. Okay, tonight's meeting is a hybrid meeting. Community members are welcome to join us either in person or remotely through Zoom or by telephone. Our study session tonight is on two topics. The first is the preliminary 2023-2024 budget. The second is the proposed updates to flag policy criteria and the Kirkland Municipal Code related to street banners. We expect to reconvene our regular meeting at approximately 7.30 p.m. City Manager. All right, thank you, Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor, members of the council. So our first topic is a further discussion of the preliminary budget, and I'm hoping George is gonna be joining us virtually. There he is. <laughs> so, uh, so I wanna clarify tonight is again, not quite a decision night on the budget. We're gonna cover the questions you asked for, the additional information you sought, and then cover the potential amendments that <coughs> we'll talk about. It is our intent to bring those back on November 15th for a vote by motion, line by line. So tonight, we just wanna make sure that we get it right and capture the universe of what the council's interested in. So here to give you that update is George Dugdale, our financial planning manager. Welcome, George. Thank you, Kurt. Good evening, Mayor. Good evening, council members. Um, hopefully, everyone can see my screen now. Yes. Okay, great. So as city manager said, we, um, this is the second study session on the um, on the budget. We do have potential for an as-needed third study session, but our intention this evening is to get to a place where we can go, um, as the city manager said, line by line through the budget, um, through the potential amendments at the November 15th council meeting. So to start, just a quick look at what I'm going to go through. We have some follow-up items from um, the, the study session last week, some answers to questions, as well as some um, other um, suggestions from council members. We're then gonna look at the potential funding that's available for any council amendments. And then finally, um, the list of amendments okay. as we heard it to the preliminary budget last, weekend, uh, last week. So the follow-up items, which was responses, uh, staff responses to council questions and comments from last week. We had um, five uh, questions or comments that we, we have responses to in the transportation area. So the first was whether we could rename the street fund. So staff has spoken to MRSC and looked at the RCWs for this, and we are required um, by RCW 4724 to have a fund that's designated as the street fund. Um, neither we or MRC are 100% sure at this point if it means it has to be street funds, but we're working to confirm this and looking at other cities. Other cities that we have looked at and spoken to do have a fund called the street fund and then have sometimes have other funds such as multi multimodal transportation or TBD funds. So at this point, we think the street fund is, um, is, is the, the name that most cities use and we're confirming whether we are required to have it called the street fund or just have a fund designated the street fund. 
on the gas tax or the MFFT. So we confirm that MRSC does not account for electrification in their projections. They use projections they get from WashDOT and WashDOT includes gas prices, fuel efficiency forecasts and employment numbers. So one note here is that um, as the gas tax, as we've talked about, is a statewide, it's a distribution on a per capita basis, the rate at which vehicles are electrifying in Kirkland would not um, impact the, the, you know, our gas tax revenues, only the rate at which electrification is occurring statewide. WashDOT's current position is that that's happening too incrementally to make a difference to their forecasts. Uh, but we're going to monitor our own revenues closely in 23 and 24 and see if we can see we think we can see an impact from this or from something else. The third was a question on the impact on the PCI, so the pavement condition index trajectory based on the additions that we are making to the street fund as part of this budget. So public work staff would include more of this in um, a, an upcoming study session um, presentation themselves, but it's complicated and it, the, the work that's being added in the street fund is more incremental in terms of uh, pothole filling and other things. Um, so we think there will be an incremental improvement, but it might be hard to quantify and it might be hard to see in the overall PCI numbers that are produced. The fourth was whether we could add 38,000 um, to the for the Eastside Rail Partnership Program. So staff has included this on the list of potential amendments at the end of, the, of this presentation. And the final one on this slide, the neighborhood traffic calming. So public work staff are working to, re, to develop this program and to re, um, kind of reconfigure the way the program works. Currently, the, the CIP has proposed has two potential funding sources. We have the uh, neighborhood safety program, which is $150,000 per year. And we also have $50,000 every two years for the neighborhood traffic control program. Uh, staff have added potential amendment to the neighborhood traffic control program of $50,000 to make sure it's now $50,000 per year rather than every two years. Moving to human services, one of the questions at the last study session was what would the impact of the investments we've made in human services be on a per capita basis if we removed the one-time investments in 21-22? As a reminder, we made a large number of one-time investments, particularly from ARPA in 21-22, and that was showing a higher per capita number for that biennium than is proposed for 23-24. You can see in the two blue bars here how those numbers look with the one-time numbers removed. So we moved from $154 per capita to 183 A second point on human services was some clarity on the changes to the um, neighborhood resource officer, school resource officer, and PROACT numbers. So this table shows those three categories of position, both the general fund funded and the police prop one funded positions. And you can see the reduction of two school resource officers in 2022, um, and an increase of one um, position in both PROACT and the neighborhood resource officer. George, could you stay on this one for just a second? because. Make sure everyone has a chance to absorb it and see if anyone had questions. No, we've seen it many times now, so but the council probably needs just a second. It appears we did what we said we were gonna do. <laughs> All right. Okay. Everybody good? Great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So moving on to the American Recovery Plan Act or ARPA discussion. So hopefully these um, tables are legible on everyone's screens. So 
in, as of September, there was around $2.2 million remaining in ARPA. The city manager's proposed 23-24 budget includes $632,000. Um, that includes $100,000 for heat pump conversion in 2022, which is already approved uh, as part of the ARPA expenses, but we um, neglected to mention last week when we were discussing this. So you can see there the other two investments are the $500,000 in leaf blowers and $32,000 um, for IT support for hybrid meetings, which we did touch on. On the leaf blowers, we had a specific question about the prioritization of, of these and, and how they ranked and against other SMP or sustainability master plan priorities. So those projects are scored and ranked by various criteria, including emissions. Um, the leaf blower project was prioritized due to a significant impact on human health, air quality and livability, as well as community requests for, um, for leaf blower, for changes to the leaf blowers um, in the city. We also have um, notes that um, in 2011, there was a study that showed a leaf blower emits nearly 300 times the amount of air pollutants as a pickup truck. And the 2001 study, which showed that an hour of using a gas-powered lawnmower is equivalent to driving a car 100 miles. So these, the two-stroke engines that these uh, the leaf blowers use are generally kind of disproportionately bad for the environment. So as well as that, um, what was not funded as part of the city manager's proposed budget was $301,000 in other sustainability master plan priorities. Those are shown there in the second table. And so we have um, two more years of the um, heat pump conversion, the Eastside Energy Efficiency Program expansion in 23 and 24, a shared Eastside East City grant coordinator of $66,000, uh, community greenhouse gas emission inventory for years 2018 through 2023 at $15,000. And then community webinars um, related to SMP and um, sharing information with the community in, in this area. So that was the $301,000. These would be priorities that would meet the ARPA criteria and would be eligible for ARPA funding. And so we're, we've left these up here as a suggestion to council that if these would be funded, these could be funded through ARPA. I think we have a question, George. So they can be funded through ARPA in addition to the 1.27 million that you have in the above they, table? Agree, yeah, so there's okay. $2.2 million prior to all of this. There is then 600,000 in the city manager's budget. Okay. If you then were also to fund the 300,000 in sustainability master plan, there would be about one point, it'd be 1.277 remaining in ARPA. Got it. Got it, thank you, George. Got to ramp up tonight. <laughs> there are other questions on ARPA? See none. Thank you. Okay, some um, two more slides on the on follow-up items. So a question about the vacant lot across the street from the Juanita Elementary School. So the lot is valued at just over a million dollars. Um, uh, staff research suggests it used to be, it's likely to have been a previous gas station because there are permits for underground storage tanks. So the lot is um, relatively flat and no streams or wetlands um, appeared in, in, in the information that we have available at this point. Um, but the environmental assessment would be important because of the potential uh, previous uses. So it's, it has, so what, what staff did find out is that the, an appraisal of the site would be about $6,000. 
And then level one and level two environmental assessments could be up to $50,000. In the list at the end of potential amendments, we have those broken out. So the appraisal is 6,000. The potential level one assessment was about $5,000. And then depending on the findings from the level one assessment, the level two assessment could be about $40,000. Funding for diverse arts and events. So as confirmation, there was funding for diverse events in 2021 and 22, which was, has not been spent, and that's $32,000. So that will be carried forward into the 23-24 budget. There was also funding for diversity in art at $18,000, which was spent. So staff will have added $18,000 for diversity in public art, again, to the list of potential amendments at the end of this presentation. Um, I briefly touched on the IT, IT hybrid meeting support in the prior slide. So $32,000 <coughs> was added to the budget um, for support at a lower level than the full council meetings, and that was funded by ARPA. Um, event support, in particular the 4th of July. So, so the service package has been revised that's included in the budget will be revised to reflect the city manager's alternative recommendation. And that was a 1.0 FTE plus some con other contingent labor to focus on the July 4th event and other events that, are, that, that is, can be completed within that capacity. In addition, we've added a second FTE position to the list of potential amendments at the end, should council want to increase the, um, the amount of effort in the staff and that is completed in this area. And then finally, replacing the word citizen with resident and or community member. So this just a confirmation, this will be completed for the final budget. And if I can just speak for a second to the event support about why that second FTE. So I was trying to synthesize. There was a couple different comments. One was, was the 4th of July fully funded? The other was, well, what about if you wanted different events and not the 4th of July? So I sort of put those two together and said, if you wanted more capacity in events, which could include 4th of July or not, you might want to consider a second position. But you could also consider just a chunk of money, right? So, so that's, that's where that came from. Okay. Okay, so the final slide before we look at the options and the list of potential amendments. There's a question on the sales tax lag. And the question, as we understood it, was just to look at the historic difference between the budget it has, as adopted, which as a reminder, the budget reflects the previous year's um, projections. So for 17 and 18, that number 39782 is the 2016 projected actuals held at 0% for both 17 and 18. And so you can see in the last three budget cycles, it's generated between 4.7 million and 13.4 million in revenue above budget. And so that means that we have, in each of those years, kept the budget at 0% and then seen revenue exceed that budget number. The chart on the left there shows the historic volatility of sales tax. So you can see in most years since 2000, sales tax has grown each year. It averages somewhere between 6 and 8% uh, across, across longer time spans. But you can also see the dramatic swings when the economy is not in good shape. So when we had a significant recession in 2007, 2008, sales tax fell almost as much as 20% in 2008. Um, and so the final piece here is that each $2.4 million in 23-24 is roughly 1% of the biennial general fund you would need 2.5% growth in sales taxes in 23 and 24 to get that 1%. So another way of saying that is that a 2.5% increase in sales tax in 23 and 24 would, would bring in $2.4 million above budget, 
which is equivalent to 1% of the general fund. Pause there in case there's questions on this. Go ahead, George. So now just moving into the potential funding options. So this table that I'm showing here, the top half of it, the first six rows um, are the same as a table that we showed last week. So when we had finished um, building the 23-24 budget prior to the reserve replenishments, there was just under $8 million. Once you do the reserve replenishments, it brings you almost exactly to $5 million. Staff had recommended an additional $2 million set aside for Houghton Park and Ride, and then 1% of general fund revenues set aside as a hedge against a potential recession in 23-24. That leaves you with about five, just under $550,000 as unprogrammed funding. At the meeting on October 25th, Council discussed potential changes and ways to reprioritize items that were in the city manager's budget. So the first of those was a service package on the Calacala of $38,500. The second was potentially reprioritizing the $160,000 a year in KTAB operating support the city, um, the city gives and using that to fund the service package, which was unfunded for um, team, team programming that had been funded one time in 21-22. Finally, the Youth Council operating costs at $35,000. A couple of things I want to note here. The first is that there is also a position that works with Youth Council um, the staff did not assume that these costs would be reallocated, although the work for that position could be if, if council decided to. The second is that we have issued an RFP for, for the KTAB, for, for providers for the KTAB. We have had, as I understand it, we've had five respondents and four have said they would need the city to continue contributing the $160,000 per year. So those potential changes that council identified in last Tuesday could add up to close to $400,000 extra to the um, unprogrammed amount, which would take it to about $940,000. If council chose to um, not follow the staff recommendations and use the 1% of general fund revenues or the Houghton Park and Ride set aside funding, there could be potentially about $5.4 million in revenue that could be programmed in, um, in these amendments. Hopefully that was at least relatively clear um the next table runs through the list of amendments and i think that george before be before you go to that just uh one thing about the potential order. so i asked george to put it in the order that staff would prioritize it so if you did we'd sort of have you work your way up um but then to go you don't have to go back to the previous slide but the question about sales tax was getting to get at this one percent general fund revenue if you wanted to spend that how much sales tax would you need to get in the following year to basically offset if you chose to allocate that so so that's where that number that he talked about, about a 2.5% increase in sales tax would generate the equivalent of that 1% reserve for general fund. So, so, but all of this could be reallocated. These are all policy choices, but we wanted you to see them in the order that staff thinks they should be done, starting with the reserve repunishment, which is our current policy, but then working our way down. So. About our reserves, <clears throat> didn't we add a couple reserve funds, rainy day kinds of things? Uh, we have over time this added to those funds and then we also have the development services fund but if you have a specific question about the funds we can talk about that. I, I just I'm interested in in comparing ourselves to 2008 in oh. terms of what we had mm -hmm. in reserves that'd be interesting yeah yeah we can we can certainly look at that 
George has oh, vanished. Um, Councilmember yeah. Pascal. Oh, there he is. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor. George, could we go back to the sales tax slide? I, I think I'm finally starting to digest that after two slides later. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so the question that I'd raised at the last budget meeting was, was the reserves comprise, from what I recall, 12%? 12 and a half percent is the number we have. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And so I'm just trying to understand, I mean, the reserves are trying to address dips in revenue over time. You know, the rainy date fund is, the intent of that is to address a dip in revenues, you know, likely caused by a recession or other economic factors. And then we have the sales tax leg on top of that. So I was trying to kind of understand it all together. This just, this gives just a glimpse of the, the sales tax. Is that right? Yes. Yes. This so this I was looking for like the reserve sales tax together to understand that full capture of kind of the conservative method that we use to hedge against, you know, unforeseen circumstances down the road. So if we, so, so to make sure I'm following, cause we can follow up on this uh, definitely. So for, for example, for 21, 22, the number you're looking for is that $13 million in sales tax Kind of plus what we have in reserves and then how much of that how much of the general fund as a percentage that is those two combined yeah and then like going back to the the recession back in yeah. uh, according to this chart from 05 to 09 you know where we saw a dip and then a recovery i'm just wondering if our reserves our reserves would not have captured that right because that looks like that's about a 17 percent dip or 18 percent right right Whereas, in 2008 yeah, yeah. and our um, reserves were only 12 percent, so we would have the sales tax kind of saved us a little bit from from that right and and then um yes it, it did and we, we can get the numbers on um we spent down the reserves as well in the recession um the other thing that complicated our it, it, to our benefit, our recovery from the recession was the annexation in 2011 when we added um, a lot more population, obviously. So, um, but we can, the, yeah, the biggest year of decline was, was I think I'd have to look up the exact number, but like you said, yeah. around 17%. So okay. I'm just trying to kind of wrestle with it in my head. So basically our policies, both reserve and sales tax leg, sales tax leg basically covers us in an event of a, another great recession. Um, in a way, that's that's how yeah. conservative we're budgeting, which one could argue a great recession should only occur every, well, hopefully not occur very often. Let's put it that way. Um, so, so that's our budgeting. That's our that's how we budget, um, kind of going forward. And I, so my question isn't like, is more about, is that. Is that the baseline for which we should budget? Because it does mean that we leave a lot on the on the table, so to speak, in terms of opportunity costs. Um, should we consider um, making changes to that over time? That's I'm still struggling with that as a council member, to be honest. Um, is that mm -hmm. the right way to to do things? Do other communities do it to that such that 
to, to that level um, to where we have a lot of needs and a lot of services that we desire, but we're kind of pushing those off um, mm -hmm. at times because we have such, you know, good conservative policies, but just it's kind of more where that threshold is is where I'm kind of talking. So about. just a couple quick thoughts on that because it's exactly the right question. I will note that, you know, I've been fortunate to be here quite a while. Every time we've had that real thorough discussion, it's almost always been at the tip of that sales tax and literally right after something happens. I mean, it's almost like jinxed. <laughs> um, so, but it does help. But I think one of the things that you all did that's in this budget that we hadn't done in the past is we actually did take all that one time on going and put it in the budget, put it in the base and basically start to assume that as the actual level of service. That's a level of conservatism that we used to have that we sort of got away with. So we said we, we need to stop doing that and actually plan on these as ongoing positions. So that's a big part of what the budget increase was. Uh, but it is an absolutely fair question. We're very conservative, and we can always look at whether there's time to ratchet back a little bit on that. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I would say that we've been having this discussion since I've been on council, yeah. so we yeah. haven't had it just <laughs> at the peak. Uh, yeah. We've had it at the recovery, too. So um, just something that I think is worth continuing to point out both to ourselves and to the public. Thank you. So unless there are other questions on the potential revenue availability, I'm gonna to move to the um, list of amendments that we have a list of for the 23-24 um, budget. So again, as a reminder to what we said at the beginning, this is, <clears throat> this is not the decision day. So the plan is to bring a final list for voting as a business item likely to the November 15th council meeting. Um, that will also allow us to include items from the two public hearings. Um, and those items for obvious reasons are not on this list as the public hearings haven't happened um, yet. So starting at the, at the top, um, and then I'll, I'll just kind of quickly cover the slide and then hand over for council discussion. We have the remaining unfunded human services requests. So this is um, net of the use of the human services reserve that we discussed last, um, last Tuesday. So the number was closer to five, 40, and then we also um, in that region we've used the human services reserve so there is still remaining unfunded human services request of 385,000 um, and then some of these have been covered already so funding for diverse arts the East, Israel revenue share um, to explain the final column the suggested funding what what I did when I was building this table was go through and so the first one two three four five six seven that say unprogrammed resources um, that's things that would be funded under the $547,000. Um, and then moving on to council changes, those are the three things that will be, could be funded with the additional, um, I'll just quickly flip back to it. The um, additional three items here that council had identified. Um, and then for the final two items, sorry for jumping back and forth, for the final two items, the team programs and the parks planning position, those will require either use of the 1% general fund placeholder or to be added to the, to the 2024 ballot measure. There's also a list of items which can be funded outside of the, um, of just using the general fund. So we um, <clears throat> talked about the uh, sustainability master plan and potential use of ARPA. We could use REIT for the tra traffic calming capital program there are two items that staff believe can be um, achieved within current budgets. 
So on the DEIB needs um, training for supervisors, this is something that HR I think can be achieved within current HR budgets, including a training carryover that's using unspent 2022 resources, um, as well as funding for educational media on how to engage with the city. Um, the final two are the increased funding for lifeguard hours, which can be funded from the parks levy fund. Um, this is net of revenues that will be brought in from having extended operating hours. And then the final one is the refurbishment of Fire Station 27. This could be funded with REAP if it was needed um, and we would be programmed during the 2023-2028 CIP update. Um, so I won't necessarily run through each of the ones in the top, um, but I, if there are questions or council discussion on this slide. I'm a little confused. Um, okay, there's a lot. Is this money we have or money we don't have? So... City manager. It is money you have, and it works its way up the unprogrammed. So everything on this list could either be funded at the bottom with like REIT, but everything that would essentially be general fund dollars, you could fund by using those unprogrammed resources. Um, I think the one key thing to discuss tonight would be do you want to consider reallocating the KTUB money and the Youth Council money or not? Because that is, if that did happen, we'd have to rethink the RFP responses. Um, if you take that out, then you are definitely probably eating into the 1% reserve, which is available. It's just we, we set it aside as that as a conservative action. Well, we don't really have enough information to make that decision about the KTUB. Right. So the... So we're going to come to the council in December with the case. So that, that was an unexpected ask. It was an appropriate ask. That's what you all get to do. So we just hadn't really thought about that as something. So we're kind of looking at, like, what would the alternatives be? But, um, but it is money set aside that's not currently allocated to anyone yet. Right? Great. But, uh, council Member Curtis. I'll dive in since that was my ask. And mm. it was more of a question than an ask. So, uh, George, can you go back the, to that slide, please, the KTUB slide? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to address this first. I still think that the Kalaka plus service package, the 38,000, we could use that money in a more uh, beneficial way. Um, I'm going to take off the table, as far as I'm concerned, the KTUB operating support and the Youth Council operating costs, because those are fairly big programmatic changes. And if we're going to cancel those programs or doing them in a different way, we need to be really thoughtful about what we're doing. And I did throw out, let's see what these cost, <clears throat> but I am not advocating ending those programs now. <clears throat> so um, as far as I'm concerned, let's continue those programs. All right, George, now will you go back to the other side? <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, uh, so my two were the continuation of the teen program and mobile recreation, which we were just trying to fund with KTUB and Youth Council, and I don't want to fund it that way. But I do strongly feel like we need to continue that program. And if we were to include it in the ballot measure, that's a 2024 ballot measure, so we have a gap in 2023 to provide this, what I think is really important programming for our youth. Um, so I'm hoping that if we're not using the KTUB money and we're not using the Youth Council money, there's another way that we can fund it prior to the ballot measure. And just as someone involved in the ballot measure, I don't want to hang everything on the ballot measure. <laughs> I would really like to focus on um, 
facilities on that ballot measure. So I'm not excited about it being part of the ballot measure. Um, we have in the bottom, we have the, I need my glasses now, um, the increase in lifeguard hours, which I was advocating for. So we do feel like we can pay for that. There is one-time money in the levy fund for that. Okay. <clears throat> it would definitely not yet be sustainable, so we'd have to look at that, but yes. Okay. Um, and then I'm, apologies to Councilmember Falcone, but, you know, we have a process for ass assessing park acquisition property, and um, it's in the pros plan. We're very clear about, we're looking for where we can fill gaps where there's um, not usage or there's not enough park space in an area. And this one is a pretty expensive ask. We're looking at $52,000 to evaluate this corner. So my suggestion would be to remove that from these expenditures. I, I think that there's one, we already have a process for acquisitions. And I think when we're talking about ending teen programming or something else, which I realize they don't go in the same funds, um, that's not a priority right now. So those are my thoughts right now. Thank you. With the discussion. Councilmember Falcon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I agree that I um, certainly don't want us revoking that uh, KTEB funding. I think that's something that should remain a priority. Um, and so that leaves, I think, $38,000 as far as the council changes of the Kalakala. And the only item that it looks like that could fund, at least that's being proposed, is the snow removal incentive program. Can you speak a little bit about what was in the assumption for the $20,000, like what will that get us, essentially is my first question. Yeah, it was it was primarily a placeholder of an estimate of essentially the sort of shovel brigade concept, the idea of the city providing shovels. And so we looked at that we do think it's a barrier that people don't have a really good snow shovel and also not awareness that they're necessarily supposed to do their sidewalks. So it was really a sort of a targeted multiplier, but I'd have to ask Public Works how many shovels you get with that. But it wasn't for every house in Kirkland. It was it was to have an idea as a pilot to start that would provide a shovel, so some targeted areas. Uh, we talked about maybe focusing it around schools, so neighborhoods close to schools, so you can sort of get a double bang for the buck. So it was, it was really just a placeholder based on some of those assumptions. Thank you, that's helpful. Yeah, I know that was um, something that I wanted to see in there. I was kind of curious how much we get for that. So that would be helpful to know just kind of what, what the 20,000 could get us um, as we're making this decision and whether that would be you know a robust pilot or is that too much money or not enough money? Um, I don't have a really good sense of that. But um, to Councilmember Curtis's comment, thank you, your comment about that um, corner. Um, I'm not sure that the vision is necessarily park space. It may be park space. It could be a variety of uses there. It's really just my interest is just in exploring what it would be. And so I would propose that I agree that spending 50-something thousand dollars might be too much. And I would propose that we um, appraise it and just do a phase one environmental assessment and leave it at that. That would be, I thought I had written down 5,000 for 11,000, but $12,000, which is a much smaller um, much smaller ask than the 50-something thousand because I agree that would be a significant amount of money. Um, aside from that, I think those were my only two questions. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So is this the time of the meeting to kind of talk through our what we like, what we don't like? or Yeah, it's not a vote, but it's a sense of, you know, indication of what you are interested in. And just wondering how... Yeah. Hard to wade into this. Uh. 
I think first we wanted to just make sure it was complete, right? Did we oh, miss yeah. anything? Yeah. As George said, there'll probably be some, you know, emails and comments. You already got some today that are not included in this from the community. So there may be additional things we haven't seen yet. Um, but yeah, we're trying to get a sense and then mm -hmm. we'll go back and kind of build towards some recommendations for the 15th and then, and then there'll be some formal votes at that point. Yeah, so I guess I'll touch on a few things that I was thinking about. And first off, I mean, this is exactly what I was hoping to see um, kind of come back to us as an accounting of everything we had uh, discussed, recognizing that there were more or less questions last meeting about some of these items. Uh, first off, the, the neighborhood traffic control uh, program, uh, appreciate staff looking at you know ways to perhaps fund that through other capital funds. You know, m my intention around that is that we receive a lot of requests. And I don't recall a situation where the neighborhood safety program has actually funded traffic calming requests um, since inception. It's really been funding crosswalk enhancements, walkway enhancements, um, and other things like that, which is great. And I support those. but but we still get these other requests. And then at the same time, when we are going down a pathway where we're looking at changing speed limits on a comprehensive basis, um, best national best practice also shows that you should also look at speed management techniques in some situations where there are problematic ongoing vehicle speeding concerns. And so it, it would be nice if we're going down that path and we're going to be having a conversation with the community um, to be able to say, hey, also we have, we're also re-looking at that program and we're gonna put a little bit of funding in there to address some key problematic locations on a proactive basis because we recognize that just changing speed limits isn't an answer by itself, that there needs to be other uh, things. And so that this is a program that can help start to um, address that over time. And it's a low cost, uh, high value, types of improvements. Um, I think what I was hoping to see there a little bit though, um, from a program perspective, and maybe staff is imagining this, is that I also heard from my colleagues about um, um, public art or, you know, inner, uh, street murals. Street murals, that was the, yeah, as part of that. And how does that come in to that program, recognizing those aren't necessarily speed management techniques, but they can be um, matched with certain measures to create something that is that will um, address some of the issues that we're seeing. And so that's the reason why I want to make sure we reimagine that program. And so if you're saying that no general fund needs to uh, be added to address that, that's great. And I'm not going to argue that. Uh, but I just want to make sure that we're scoping that in a way that we're, uh, we're all kind of thinking about. So that would be, um, so I think that would be good to bring back to us, not during the budget, but maybe next year to kind of make sure we're kind of moving that along in a way that is envisioned. Um, on the parks side of things, I had raised the item there at the, at the bottom of the general fund line item of the parks planning position. And what I've heard over the last few years, and particularly over the last year, is that we don't have the capacity to take on more parks planning, parks capital improvements. And I've heard that in a, in a, 
in a in a in our current situation, regardless of whether a, a levy moves forward, that we have the needs, uh, we can't get to them because we don't have the capacity. Um, and so, regardless of whether the levy passes or not, there's still a need there to move park projects forward, particularly because we have more development growth, 85th Street plan um, taking place. We have we have to reimagine how we're doing parks and how we're uh, reactivating them in a way that's sustainable, that um, uh, that will provide more opportunities for more people. So I still feel very strongly that we have, to, I would like to be able to say to the public, you know what, yeah, we ha we're going out with this levy, but we're already putting money to where we think the priorities are. And we're, 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 we're moving forward with uh, investments in our parks and we know that we need the, um, you know, the, the organizational structure to, to keep that going forward. Uh, and that's what I, I see why that's important. And if the levy, if, you know, we put forward a levy and that passes, there's probably gonna be, you know, additional needs beyond this because this is just, I think, maintaining the status quo in my mind. Um, so that's why I, I'm pushing that and I'd still, I'd still like to have conversations. But if I'm the only one that supports that, then I, I can certainly understand. Um, just just uh, yeah. maybe a little bit more, because I agree with everything you just said, but one of the things that we were really challenged by <laughs> in looking at this request was um, we have probably one of the most ambitious capital programs we've ever had, and we have that every year consistently. They were just in, And just the ability to keep pushing more through the system was one thing we looked at. The second is we have a lot of unfunded positions like this that we can't fill. So it was a combination of, you know, would we even be able to hire it? Because right now we're probably down four, <laughs> maybe five for the existing capital program. So it wasn't that everything you said isn't exactly right, and it isn't that if we had it, we couldn't do great work with it. It was just part of the whole sustaining was trying to like finish what we started and finish what you've already asked for. And then if a ballot measure came with all these new projects, then we could sort of like reinvest in it. So, but like you might recall, when we did the TBD, we said, hey, we're gonna need two of these kind of positions to just to implement the TBD because we don't have the staff capacity. So, so the capacity is absolutely limited, but so is our ability to hire folks. So that, that's kind of what fed into this, maybe not right now, but certainly it would be a valuable position if we had it. Um, uh, just, you, can I keep going? You sure can. Or did you have? No. Oh, okay. Thanks. Thanks, city manager, for that context. Um, and then the, the last thing, I think I'll... I'll comment on um, the the vacant lot. I guess my my thoughts on that is that I don't like it. <laughs> um, I want I want to see something change there. Um, that was a gas station. I remember stopping at the gas station there. Um, I guess that's aging me. Um, but. My, my mind is really whether this rises up to to a city priority, you know, and any money should be devoted to it. I, you know, we could argue 6,000, 12,000, whatever, but I think there's lots of vacant properties around the city that I think any one of us or a member of the public could argue that there is some public interest in, in looking at. And I just want to make sure we have a process that's that's fair, transparent, 
where there's kind of an end goal or criteria in mind. And let's just say that that pans out like, oh, it, you can buy it for 500,000. Would we still do it? Oh, there's no environment. Would we still do it? Um, so that money, I don't know, would be uh, well spent. But I think my overriding thing, though, about that is that that property needs to be redeveloped with the Goodwill site. And it's all one larger parcel that needs to go uh, together uh, because of access, because of location, because of a variety of things. And that's the reason why I don't, I think the city can advocate and I think we have a responsibility to work with property owners to try to um, see what that vision is and work on the zoning and things like that. But I don't, I don't know that I'm willing to, to support that's where my mind's at on that. Deputy Mayor Arnold. I'm sorry, you are done? Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, uh, first, thanks to staff for the creativity in getting so many of these requests funded, both through the unprogrammed resources, using ARPA money, and, and other potential options for us. We're, we're uh, um, arguing for uh, over small amounts of money, which makes this a lot easier. Uh, just to weigh in on some of the things that have been discussed, I agree with Councilmember Pascal's comments on the lot across from Juanita Elementary. We already are working on much bigger city-owned projects with the Houghton Village site and the acquisition of the Houghton Park and Ride. And so I'm, I'm, it's not a high priority to look at potential acquiring of other uh, property when we've got a ton of work to do with those, although I do agree with Councilmember Pascal's comment that we want that whole site to be redeveloped and hopefully there's a private partner that interested in doing so. For the items that would potentially be funded by the 1% general fund placeholder, right now by my math we've got about $720,000 of the $2.4 million placeholder that would be funded for that. Um, I am willing to go into that 1% uh, revenue. I'm not sure if I want to go for the full 700 and really would be looking at uh, both the feedback from the city manager on whether the um, park splitting position would be something we can take advantage of now or is more appropriately tied to actual capital projects that might be part of a ballot measure. Um, finally, um, do want to have a, a further discussion in the REIT funding of the Fire Station 27 refurbishment. It sounds like we, from the description of the service package, this is work that's going to have to happen regardless of the final purpose of the building. Um, what I don't have a good feeling for is, um, is this 785000 uh, dipping into REIT reserves and how much would be um, uh, available if we did do that. And then what's also the opportunity cost? I know that we're dealing with construction inflation and it may be an argument to make the, make these investments that we know need to happen now. So uh, I'm leaning towards that but would like some more information. Um, and then... Um, Finally, for I do support the items in here, like the um, additional staffing for the um, 
special events in the 4th of July. Um, as we look at things like the increased lifeguards, um, actually, actually for both positions, I want to make sure that they are sustainably funded. And if there are things like the lifeguard level of service that we're increasing, um, those are the sort of conversations I would hope that are happening with the P, within the PFAC to say, okay, here's, here's a, a level of service increase. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to pile on a little. Um, I want to remind people that we used to own two pieces of property across the street from the vacant lot, and we sold them. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure Parks is, is looking in that particular area. But I agree with the assessment by, by my peers that um, this property needs to be part of the bigger property piece of property when the Goodwill site is redeveloped. So I'm not interested in, in pursuing that. Um, in terms of the special events, 4th of July position, $350,000 would put on seven fourths of July that I've put on. <laughs> um, so it seems like a, a lot. I, I think, and, and I like the way you described it, city manager is sort of a placeholder lump. Um, the FTE-ness of it is bothering me just a little bit because I don't think we know what it is. Um, but I think it's certainly more than the 4th of July. Um, so I would leave some amount there. I'm not sure if that's too much, too little. Uh, I would leave that up to you. Might combine it with the parks planning position around um, some level of consolidation. Not sure exactly what that might look like. I do think it is important for us to continue the teen programming. Um, and I really feel strongly about the lifeguard hours. Um, <laughs> I had a long conversation with one of you today about East Rail revenue, or, of the East Rail partnership, and whether or not we should proceed with it. And, and I really do feel that we have to be partners in, in East Rail with with the other cities and do our part. Um, I'm really excited about the continuing uh, funding for diverse arts and events. And we have to do the human services request. So I don't know if that helped you at all, George, but uh, I think Very we're much. spending more money than we have. <laughs> uh, Councilmember Nixon. Thanks. Well, uh, I'll just briefly say I agree with the sentiments about the vacant lot across from Winnie Elementary. I think it ought to be redeveloped uh, with the whole property. <clears throat> um, one thing I, I don't see here that we received uh, a repeat email on earlier today was a request for 30000 to help with the final work on the new Together Center. And is that accounted for anywhere, that request yet? It's not. That, that, that is something we received earlier, and I just didn't get it into the CIP. So we suggested that they resend so that it's back on everyone's radar screen. But. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why it would go into the CIP, because that project's yeah. almost done, and I think they probably need the money right away. But um, anyway, I just wanted to say I support that. They're, they're just asking it for capital. So, I mean, it could be in either. Right. The idea, if the council agreed, would be to give it to them right away, but it could be in either budget. Right. So I support that. And um, 
you know, I don't really see anything else in this list of things that I disagree with. Thanks. Councilman Black. <laughs> I feel like it's my job to figure out where the staff needs a final bit of guidance. <laughs> so, do you manager, would you like to point out where you need a final bit of guidance? Um, oh. oh, sorry. Was that a rhetorical question? <laughs> it can't, if you're okay with it, it can be, it can because I don't, uh, I'll just echo what, um, what Councilmember Nixon said. I don't see a lot in here. Based on my reading of, of the council's uh, consensus, I don't think I would change a lot from what I've heard, but if there's something where you really feel like you need more guidance, I'm happy to w weigh in. You know, I think the two main things I'm sort of hearing develop a consensus. The first was, did you want to explore the reprioritization of the K-Tub team? And I'm sort of hearing no, which is, that's really helpful to us. And then- I would concur. Second is an example of, it seems some willingness to eat into the the, you know, going up the ladder to the 1% set aside. And so if, if that's the um, sort of sense of the council, then that gives us some flexibility to figure out how to do some of these. Yeah, and I would, you know, I, I would uh, defer a little bit to your expertise on uh, FTs, FTEs within parks on planning, um, despite the fact that I agree with uh, the goals of um, that uh, uh, Councilmember Pascal outlined. Um, trying to see if what else is on here that where you maybe could use my further guidance. I don't think so. Um, generally, with I don't. I think there's a consensus on the lot. Um, I agree with the mayor uh, concerning the East Rail revenue share. Even though I know the city does a lot, but it's part of us being a part of a broader partnership. Um, we do, meaning we do a lot without being asked, but but it is part of a broader partnership, and so I think it's valuable in that regard. Is, anything else? I, I'll, Mayor, I'll hand it back to you to ask whether staff has everything they need. George, you got what you need? Kurt? Yep, I think so. City manager? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I just don't want to lose that opportunity. Let me just uh, take it and look myself here. But no, I, I think the council's been you know, really thoughtful and, and providing direction. Um, so can I ask if we know how much we are going to, was that you, Councilmember Festival? Do, do we know how much we are going to dip into? Not yet. We'll have okay. to do a, we'll have to do a quick run on that, but I'm going to guess half a million-ish or something, depending on, so we'll, but we'll, we'll get back to, we'll let you know. Great. Councilmember Pascal. I was just trying to do the math in my head. It's probably dangerous. But uh, so, my what I'm hearing is fifty-two thousand off the table for that lot. Um, there's question, and then there's, then I'm unclear about the teen programs of three hundred ninety-nine. Are we saying to remove that or to keep it? Keep oh, it. to keep it. Okay. So I was confused about that. So thank you. Um, and then I kind of liked the mayor's idea of. Can you combine the special events and the park planning and come up with some kind of hybrid position to kind of move move the ball forward, recognizing it's not like a you know an answer to everything, but at least we kind of continue to kind of up our game a little bit somehow. So that would be interesting to 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 take back to the team because uh -huh. then you could maybe cut that in half, and so then 
we're not eating into as much. That's I mean, kind of what I'm hearing a little bit. So, so my candid reaction to that is um, not without other pieces on the board. So, what we th those two things wouldn't go well together, right? Events and and parks planning. But we can noodle on other other resources that would be mixed and matched to free up a half of some things. So, I guess we can certainly ponder ponder how we might move all that around. Think of it as money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, or contracts, right? So. Thank you, Madam Mayor. So I have a question about the special events Fourth of July position there. So given that we're saying that we don't want that to come from council changes, right? Because we don't want that big chunk of KTUB money base, because that was the biggest thing that would have funded that from council changes. Are we now having that discussion in terms of the one percent general fund placeholder or the ballot measure? That's that's what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. And you know, Deputy Mayor was saying he was a little bit uncomfortable with the, if I'm hearing correctly, with seven hundred thousand, but now we're adding another three hundred and fifty thousand. So now we're talking over a million of that of the one percent that we'd be eating to eating into. If I'm remember, if I'm if I'm doing the math <laughs> correctly in my head, we're now, you know, not reducing that, we're adding to that, right? So we're looking at over a million dollars potentially of the one percent general fund placeholder if we're looking at all three of those as they sit if, now. But I we're know we're talking three. about maybe reducing them, a couple of them a little bit. But Okay, just wanted to make sure I was understanding where we were at and where we were thinking of getting that money from. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I think that gives us a lot to go on. And then again, you'll, oh, George is going to cover this exactly what I was about to say. Next yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we have a um, public hearing this evening, a part of this, the regular meeting tonight, and then a second public hearing on November 15th. So uh, the final choice for us, we have a um, the option of a potential third study session, but as I'm, we mentioned at the beginning, our intention would be to bring back a version of this list with the feedback we heard tonight, and then um, put it on the business agenda so council could go through making decisions prior to the December 13th, um, uh, final adoption but I do want to make sure that council doesn't feel that um, a third study session is needed so the question is is a third study session needed or is a business agenda item on November 15th sufficient one big option B um deputy mayor uh, one one comment just so everybody's aware um November 15th also may be a date that we will be discussing permanent supportive housing mm. agreements with the county. And so just in any normal year, I would say, um, yeah, that we could work it into our business meeting, but that's something to consider on whether we have a long mm. uh, discussion on the 15th. Mm. Any thoughts? I just want to say I have SEA picked on November 9th. Okay, <laughs> Councilmember Pascal. So, are, are we proposing that this would come back to a study session on the fifteenth? We could have some 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 discussion there, and then action at the or voting at the business item of the meeting. Is right. that what you're suggesting? Right. But I'm thinking it would be a short study session, if at all, and some of it would depend on if you hear something in the next week or two that from the community that you want to also consider. But if it's like, just... Yeah, it seems like that would work as long as you, we, we yeah. have the study session kind of as a hedge to have some dis open discussion 
um, and then take action at the business meeting. At least that's my plan. But on the 15th. On the 15th. On right. the 15th. Yeah. 15th. Okay. Great. And council okay. can also make it amendments on the 13th if you, you know, if something happened. I mean, that's when you want to adopt everything, but it's also a possibility if, if there's a need. It's, you're not limited on that day. And I just, I just don't feel like we're that far away. That's my sense as well. Okay. The guest, right. Are you done with us, George? Yes, thank you for your time. Okay, thank you. So that takes us back to the item I was hoping we wouldn't get to. Um, but we are going to get to it. So proposed updates to the flag policy criteria and Kirkland Municipal Code related to street banners. City Manager. Okay, thank you. So there's two separate topics here, and we're going to take the more straightforward one first, which is the banner policy. And if we don't get to flags, we can bring it back. So, uh, so uh, the primary presenter for the uh, banner policy is John Lloyd, our Deputy Director of Parks and Community Services. And if we get to flags, it will be uh, Deputy City Manager Jim Lopez on flags. And the City Attorney's Office, Darcy Eilers, is here to help as well. So with that, I will go ahead and turn over to John. Still muted. Uh, let me get the whole sharing thing figured out here. I'm gonna move you around. Because when I start the PowerPoint, it goes to the wrong screen. I apologize for the, you did it the delay. We are here, and I did it. Mm -hmm. um, so, forgive me, this is a classic Jim Lopez PowerPoint. We've got a background. We're going to talk about the street banner program. I'll turn it over to Jim for the flag policy, and then we'll talk about next steps. Um, we've got some, some. So, um, I only have a few slides focused on the banner program. Um, then, as I said, I'll turn it back over to Jim for discussion on the flag policy. Um, first, I want to provide a little background on the uh, banner program, then then get into the changes, and then get your feedback. So, um, the banner program is regulated by KMC 1932 and has been in place and unchanged since 2009. The program is administered by the Special Projects Coordinator, CDL Casey, in the Parks and Community Services Department. She's on vacation tonight, so I'm um, covering all the information. Um, but I may have to, depending on your questions, I may have to go back and get some more information from her. So. Currently, there are only two locations for street banners, uh, the horizontal street banners, and there are several locations for the vertical um, street banners located throughout the Central Business District in the, and in the Juanita, Lakeview, and Totem Lake neighborhoods. Um, so why are we talking about the banner program tonight? Um, last year, we received an application for a horizontal street banner from a religious organization, and based on the current restrictions in the KMC, we denied this request. Um, the organization challenged the request and kind of threatened legal action um, and upon further legal review, the banner uh, request was approved. However, it was recommended by the city attorney that the code be updated to focus on the focus restrictions on the content of the banner rather than on the applicant. Um, while we were working on updating that restriction, we reviewed the entire code for potential changes, and we've identified several um, other changes besides just those restrictions. Many of the proposed changes are relatively minor, at least in our mind. 
um, and focus on streamlining the code as well as cleaning up inconsistencies between the KMC and current practice. For example, the KMC includes detailed specifications for the size of the banners and goes into detail, including grommet spacing and um, wind slots and things of that nature. This can more easily be managed administratively and will allow for greater flexibility in the future. If we ever change banner sizes or banner locations, we'll have a little more flexibility uh, and we'll have to come back to you to update the code. Um, additionally, the code was written in such a way that it allowed non-city staff to hang banners. Um, this is no longer allowed and the code has been updated accordingly. Um, and we removed KMC 1932.080, which referenced grants. Um, this no longer applies to the program and is not needed. Um, we believe that was added in the code. It was part of the code when the banner program and tourism grants may have been intertwined, um, but they're really not related at this point. And so it's not relevant information for the um, banner code. Um, the bigger change to the banner code is related to how we regulate which banners may be hung. Currently, the banner code stipulates that anyone applying for a banner permit must meet all of the following criteria. They must be a Kirkland-based organization. They must be non-religious or non-political in nature. They must be a non-profit organization. And they must be city-sponsored, which includes organizations receiving funding from the city, they have a contractual relationship with the city, receive in-kind services, or, or the city is a member of their applying organization. Um, as mentioned in the memo, the restrictions have not been consistently enforced. Uh, for example, some event organizers are not based in Kirkland, but have been allowed to use the banner program in the past. Um, following the legal review and recommendation to update the restrictions uh, to be based on the content of the banner rather than the applicant, we recommended deleting that entire section altogether. So delete uh, 1932.040. Um, subsequently, we propose adding a section into 1932.035. Um, currently, this section focuses on the specifications of the banner. Um, as we previously mentioned, we recommend deleting the most of the specifications from the code, um, but the new section was added, um, providing restrictions on the content of the banner. This section of the code limits what message the banner can convey um, the proposed restrictions include limiting the banner message to a public service message relevant to the community or to promote events taking place in Kirkland. So rather than restricting the type of organization who may apply for the banner, the code limits the banner message, um, which includes, so rather than saying the organization has to be non-religious or non-political, the banner message would have to be non-religious or non-political in nature. Um, and then finally, the banner program may not be utilized to advertise any product, commodity, or service. Uh, this is not intended to include promoting events where tickets are sold, but rather it's intended to restrict commercial sales. So um, XYZ store couldn't promote their big Black Friday sale coming up. Um, me. Um, like I said, most of the banner specifications have been removed from the code. We did leave a few key uh, specifications that we felt were important um, in 1932. 0.035C. Um, specifically, banners must be printed on both sides and made of a durable material suitable for installation above city streets. Um, the current draft of the code states that banners must be produced by a banner company, and there was a couple questions about what constitutes a banner company. Um, in reality, this was intended to prevent homemade banners from being installed, so hang on a bed sheet with Sharpie written on it. Um, but kind of see the confusion of where that comes from and the potential for 
very nice looking um, homemade banners. So we're gonna propose a different edit to that um, at a future when we bring this back to council that will allow a little bit more flexibility, but still give the city the rights to uh, deny banners that aren't professionally produced. So with that being said, I wanna see if there's any questions or if you have any feedback on the edits. Councilmember Nixon. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, I, I think you all know, hopefully saw that the mayor forwarded an email discussion that I'd been engaging in with staff about some details um, on the policy and just thought I'd mention a couple of those that I um, think would be worthwhile seeing if we can get them reflected in the uh, final uh, proposal brought to us for adoption. Um, and one of the questions was, does this apply only to banners hung between poles or the vertical banners hung on a single pole? And the answer that we got was, no, that's not the intent. It applies to anything hanging over a city right of way. And I think it would be important to make that clear to people that if they want to, for example, hang a banner from the Kirkland Way Bridge or the 68th, the, the, the CKC Bridge over 68th, or the Totem Lake Connector Bridge, right, that this policy applies to that. If, in fact, we want to allow them from bridges at all. <clears throat> but it need, I, think, I think that should be clarified because we do see banners hung in some of those locations now. Uh, the question was also about banners over the CKC itself because we do have several bridges over the CKC, and I think that needs to be clarified. Um, I asked about banners hung from overpasses over 405, because um, I think we all have seen various groups, some of them advocating for or against candidates or ballot measures, but um, uh, waving signs or hanging banners off of 405 bridges. And the answer was that we really don't have authority to restrict access there because that's uh, DOT territory. Um, uh, there may nevertheless be some in the future that are over, um, uh, over city right-of-way, even though they're controlled by DOT. So I just want to make sure that all of that gets clarified at the same time. And uh, I also asked a question about private uh, fences or poles that are it, nevertheless, in the right-of-way, we all know people who have fences that are actually in the city right-of-way. One I think of in particular is the south fence of the Holy Family Catholic Church property, which is a um, uh, the word I'm looking for, the wire mesh type fence. It's very easy to hang banners on that, and people do hang banners on that with their permission. Um, and it, it felt like the answer I got was that we're not going to try to limit those, but it should be clarified as well because it's in the right of way, even though it's not over the right of way. Um, we, can have, we can definitely add some clarity to that. Yeah. And then um, the, I had a concern about the, the definition of non religious and non political. Um, for example, uh, we got a, a Q alert. A service request to the council um, it was either this morning or yesterday uh, from a representative of a local church that was celebrating its 100th anniversary and they wanted to put a banner about that and they were denied because they were a religious organization. I think we're fixing that 
um, and we but we would still need to make sure that the message was non-religious. I, I, I think the intent of this rule is to say, don't have proselytizing messages, right? Don't don't be trying to attract people to your uh, faith community or faith tradition. Um, uh, and the question then was on the political side of things, um, are we only prohibiting advocacy for or against a candidate or ballot measure, which I think we kind of have to if it's a city facility, right? Under uh, 4217A555, you can't use public facilities for express advocacy. Um, but there's a lot of issue advocacy that goes on as well. And you know the thing that came to mind for me, well, what happens when the Second Amendment Foundation wants to put a gun rights banner over uh, Lake Street? Or what happens when Washington Ceasefire wants to put a pro-gun control banner over uh, Lake Street? And there's all kinds of those controversial public issues. And um, I, th I think we need to make clear what non-political means in the context of these uh, issues that are not express advocacy for or against a candidate or ballot measure, but are nevertheless controversial, and whether we want to get into banner wars between different groups um, advocating for their positions on issues. Um, <clears throat> my preference would be to not have any of those, um, or um, at best, they could only be used to promote an upcoming event. So like if somebody's going to have a public rally about a particular issue, then the banner could be used to promote the event. So it's not really promoting the issue, it's promoting the event. Uh, that's kind of my feeling on that one. Um, and then uh, the not promoting, uh, advertising or promoting the sale of a product, commodity, or service, um, I wondered whether that would have an issue with an event if the event was considered to be a service, but the clarification was, no, that won't be an issue for an event. But we might want to make that clear that <clears throat> prohibition on promoting a service doesn't mean promoting uh, a prohibition on promoting events in the city. Um, even though the organization is a for-profit organization, and some of the sponsors of events in Kirkland are for-profit organizations. So um, the previous language that was in there that said they had to be a nonprofit, I believe, has already been removed. Um, yeah, that was so we removed that because we were removing it based on the applicant and make it based on the organization. On, on the content, um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, season. And then the last one had to, to be uh, was about the being manufactured or produced by a banner company. Um, John's already uh, addressed. Uh, that issue that a as long as the banner is good quality it's not going to tear up as long as the paint that's on it is not going to dissolve in the rain and discolor your cars driving underneath it um, that it, it it what we're really going after is that it's a high quality that's going to stand up for the necessary period of time over a street and be safe rather than trying to define what a, a recognized banner company is and make sure that somebody goes to one of those recognized companies. Um, so th those were the thoughts that I had on the policy. I, I, I like all, all the changes, but I just think there's a few clarifications that need to be made. Thank you.
Great. Uh, Councilmember Black. Thank you. Uh, so, first of all, thank you, Councilmember Nixon. I actually appreciate all of the attention that you've given this to try to drill down on some of these questions and make sure if we're going to have a new policy, make sure we're clear about what the policy is. It's, it, one thing that's interesting you raise is actually a policy question, I guess, at some point we're going to have to talk about, and that's the, it's really interesting you mentioned the Holy Family Cyclone Fence. Yeah. Because on the one hand, I have no objections whatsoever to Holy Family using their fence to, you know, advertise upcoming events or other organizations. On the other hand, it is in the right of way. So maybe we have to actually have a further discussion about that. I don't know. Um, I don't think you necessarily came down one way or the other on that, but so that's an interesting policy question. Um, one of the uh, things I was going to just highlight is on the um, oh, another one of the questions you raised, which I, I'm hoping is kind of answered, John, by the fact that we now have a new section A1 of 035. So street banner text shall reflect, it's basically, it's either a public service message relevant to Kirkland community or it promotes an event taking place in Kirkland. So I think this was the question, Councilman Nixon, you raised about the uh, advocacy on other issues. Issues. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if you know, if, uh, you know, I'm making the, I, I don't know, I'm making this up. If Kirklanders for gasoline-powered, you know, vehicles wants to have a car rally, they maybe they have a perspective on gasoline powered vehicles. Mm -hmm. But what they're really what they're doing is having a car rally. I don't really I have a hard time seeing the distinction between that. I made that one up and it's silly. I have a hard and so I don't want to equate what I'm about to say to that silly example. But how is that that much different from, you know, Hope Link saying we're having an event to raise money and awareness about, you know, the needs of our community. Um, I don't want to have to draw those kind of lines, and I don't think we should be in the business of trying to draw those lines, and I realize that example is super silly, but just to kind of illustrate the point, um, I think if it's, you know, I think if we're sort of focused mainly on the fact that it's either a public service message relevant to our community or it promotes an event taking place in Kirkland, I think we largely, maybe not completely, but we largely address that concern of the you put it really well, whatever words you use, describe it, but that sort of uh, you know, um, issue-focused um, uh, content. Um, and then I think uh, the last thing I was going to say was, um, you know, I think if we're, if we're saying banner, you know, half of these banners are going to promote an event taking place in Kirkland, I think... Um, you know, we're going to have events taking place in Kirkland that have a gate fee. And so we had definitely, we definitely, I definitely think it makes sense, as Councilmember Nixon said, to clarify that. And we have language like in A4 of 35, 035, where we say this is not, you know, we, we state the rule and then we say this does not prohibit a ban. I think that'd be a great place just to add another sentence mm -hmm. to clarify this does not prohibit a banner from, you know, advertising an event that has a entry fee. Um, that seems like a really short, easy sentence to add to that, just to clarify. And that's all I had to say. Thank you. Well, let's see if we can rush through in 10 minutes flags. All right. So I'm not sure we can, so I might suggest, um, since some dinners were missing, that maybe uh, I think the quest we really want to make sure, because flags is not, uh, you don't need to decide flags tonight, except for there is a there is an item on consent. So maybe my suggestion would be 
if anyone has questions or comments about the item on consent, we can deal with that. Otherwise, I think we might want to bring the flag policy back or incorporate it to the study session that's going to be on proclamations in December. Because um, I think from my council calls, there's a lot of interest and nuance on, on the flags. Okay. That work? Would that work for? Sounds good. So can I then, is there any questions or comments on the consent item or do council feel like they, they have what they need to know on that one? Council Member Black? Madam Mayor, you caught me thinking. Um, <laughs> Usually it's speaking. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily feel the need to, well, I guess I, I, I guess I need to think about the question that the city manager just asked, and I don't have time right now to think about it. Well, and certainly when the full meeting starts, you could, you know, obviously ask a question or pull an item from consent if you yeah um i mean i'm not inclined to pull it from consent i just think there is a comment um that i think our the city of kirkland might want to make in regards to our current uh program that we have and it's compliant and it's, an, it's a compliance with the most recent supreme court decision despite the fact that we're not going to be talking tonight about changes to the policy yeah, that'd be helpful i think that's that's good again that the intent of the flag policy that we brought before you was to clarify the result of some supreme court decisions and also some questions brought by the community right now the flag policies basically says the council decides and we recognize there's no criteria or anything and there's some legal nuances so the the purpose when we get to the discussion is to help provide some of that criteria for both the council and the public as to how you would decide what flags are flown in, in public facilities Councilmember Nixon. Yeah, I'll just um, quickly state kind of where I stand on this. Um, my preference would be to not have any flags besides the U.S. flag, the state flag, and others that are legally required, like the POWMA flag. Um, but if we are going to have other types of flags, my preference would be not to have these come before the council each time, but to for us to establish a policy that the staff can then use to decide uh, what flags are permitted, the same way we're doing with banners, right? So it doesn't have to continually be coming up in a council meeting. That's, that's my main perspective on this. Thanks. Anybody else? Okay. If you got what you need. We do, and we'll bring it back. Thank you. Okay, great. Then we will see you all at 730. Thank you. Recording stopped. Live Mayor. Recording in progress. We are back in session following a study session on the preliminary 2023-2024 budget and on proposed updates to flag policy criteria and Kirkland's <coughs> code related to street banners. We only got as far as street banners. We've got flag policy is coming back to us later on this month, this year. Uh, so this takes us to item five in our agenda. Item B, items from the audience. This is the time in our meeting when we normally hear from the public on matters which are not quasi-judicial or scheduled for a public hearing. We do have two public hearings this evening. They are item 6A, preliminary 2023-2024 budget and the 2023-2028 capital improvement program. And 6B, the cable, Comcast cable television franchise renewal first reading. 
On all other matters, please limit your remarks to three minutes and the council will receive up to three comments each on both sides of any issue. Um, if you are present either in person or virtually and would like to address the council during this items from the audience period, please sign up using the online public comment instruction link or in person using the posted QR code. For those participating by phone, please dial star nine to be recognized to speak. Community members will be called in the order in which they signed up. Items from the audience is an important part of our business meeting, but we ask that everyone be treated with kindness and respect. We ask that you please not clap or applaud after a speaker or that you express your disagreement with a speaker. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome expressing their viewpoints regardless of content. Because they can be disrupted, disruptive signs and placards are also not allowed in council chambers during our meetings, regardless of their content. City Clerk, you wanna? Yes, council, we have eight people signed up for items from the audience. And the first three are Barbara Hughes and Kimberly Dare, who are in the chamber. And the third one is Lydia Rapita, who is virtual. Barbara, you wanna step up? Welcome. Snyder's Corner Dog Park. My name's Barbara Hughes of Bridal Trails Dogs, speaking on behalf of many of the Snyder's Corner Dog Park users. Thank you, City of Kirkland, especially Lynn Wagstra and Mary Gardocki for the pop-up dog park. The Bridal Trails community desperately needs this informal community gathering space, and the city has been inundated with support for the dog park from the community. I came here tonight to ask again that you allow this dog park to remain as a pop-up over this winter. The city has allowed the Juanita pop-up dog park to remain, and you even provided wood chippings there to handle the mud and the rain. Our need at Snyder's Corner is equally as great as the need in Juanita. Bridal Trails is where Kirkland, Redmond and Bellevue meet, with many people living in apartments and condos without yards, and for these dog owners, there's nowhere nearby to exercise their dogs off-leash. What we've discovered is that there is a huge community need for informal opportunities to meet our neighbours. Via the dog park, we are actively building community, and it's critical to the Bridal Trails neighbourhood that this dog park remains over this winter and indefinitely. The dog park users did write to the city on 10-18-22 and asked again for the dog park to shrink down to a winter dog park in the southwest corner of the park using three sides of the already existing fencing to minimise costs. This area does not appear to be affected by rain flowing downhill, so there's less risk of mud. The dog park users offered to pay the cost of wood chippings for the winter dog park site should the city not have an available supply of chipping, such as those used in Juanita. Also to volunteer to spread to the wood chippings to spare the city that cost. We've not yet received the city's reply to our offer, and we'd like to meet park staff on site to work with us to find a way for the dog park to remain in some capacity over the winter. Very disappointingly, this morning, your staff removed the dog park, whilst we are still awaiting your reply to our email of 1018. The dog park users would also like to work with the parks department over this winter to figure out a viable plan for a permanent dog park at Snyder's Corner soon. We will volunteer, we will fundraise, whatever it takes, but the Bridal Trails community needs this dog park and we are asking you, the council members, to partner with us to make this happen. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Hughes. 
The next speaker is Kimberly Dare, followed by Lydia Rapita and Ye Zhao. Welcome, Ms. Dare. Thank you. My name is Kim Dare, and I'm speaking on behalf of many Snyder's Corner Dog Park users. In 2021, COVID still had us somewhat isolated, and then a dog park popped up. We went the first night and nearly every night after. Like reading with Rover, where kids read to dogs without realizing that there are humans at the other end of the leash, at Snyder's Corner, we went to the park for the dogs, forgetting that humans brought them and accidentally build community. I created business cards as Pedro and Ellie's mom and included my contact information. I brought blank cards to collect information from others. We stayed connected through some doggy play dates. We attended opening day of Dog Park 2022, and since that day, attendance has grown. I'd love to share some of the many stories of this beautiful community. Sasha, a gorgeous Samoyed, brought her dad, Paul, to the park for study breaks. Paul passed away on June 26 after a sudden and serious illness. Barry connected with the parents, he'll speak later, and we held a celebration of Paul's life and his participation in our community. His parents bring Sasha's often so that she and they can be with their packs. Betty, a sweet four-legged gal who loves her treats and knows who brings them, it's me, uh, moved to Kirkland from out of state this year with her mom, Wendy. They knew no one. Now Wendy has people she can reach out to who support her and Betty. Lily, a 15-year-old Rottweiler, came with her mom, Sue. Lily loved holding her gooey tennis ball and only dropped it for treats. The afternoon of Lily's passing, Sue came to the park to bring some of Lily's old toys to drop off a card of thanks to the community and to be comforted by her pack. Johnny Walker, one of the funniest chihuahuas I've ever met, brought his dad, Rich. J-Dub passed a few weeks ago. We gathered to celebrate his life and to wrap the community around Rich. Rich knows that this is his pack and he's continued to come. On October 14th, we held Howl a Wolf. Spread by word of mouth, folks dressed their dogs in costume. It was an evening of laughs and the pictures are amazing. I brought some. In Andre DeShield's Tony acceptance speech, he made the following statement. Surround yourself with people whose eyes light up when they see you coming. At Snyder's Corner, eyes light up. The city of Kirkland, in providing this dog park, has built this community. I know you've received overwhelming communication in support of this dog park. I also know that it was taken down today. We'd like to work with the city to identify a path forward that allows this park to reopen through the winter, whether raising funds, creating work parties, parking offsite, or just scheduling poop patrol. We are all in. This area more than ever needs this kind of community. I hope you'll consider this request. And how important is this request to me? I had foot surgery this morning and there's no way I would have missed tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Dare. Next speaker is Lydia Rapida and she's virtual. So we will promote her now. Followed by Yi Zhao, who is also virtual. And then Barry Swanson. Ms. Rapita, can you hear us? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Hi, my name is Lydia, uh, Lydia Rapida. I, uh, I live by 132nd Park. Um, that's uh, three things that I, I want to bring up tonight. Um, it's more in a kind of questions. Um, and I apologize, this is the first time I'm doing this, so 
not sure quite what a structure is, but my first thing is uh, would like to address the 132nd park. Uh, I am looking at a hill right now that um, I was told would be about four feet high from the ground at my um, fence uh, at the village on the park community. Uh, I am hoping that somebody could actually show me how that has been measured because it looks like it's way more than four feet. Um, that is my first question. My second one is uh, the, I would like to somebody to help address the noise of this construction that unfortunately has started before 7 a.m. Um, that has, it, it really bothers us, this community. I know some of the folks in the, the city councils probably talked to the allied constructions, but that has been, um, hasn't been really happened for so many times. And, and this is the time when I wanna ask for your help and also wanna know what kind of, a comp you know, how they're gonna be uh, fine for this to stop. So, and my third one is I wanna know how and when I could get some uh, kind of respond to my first two questions. That is all. Thank you. Um, Mr. Pita, have, have you submitted those questions or, or sent us anything with your contact information? Yes. I think some of the folks that is actually currently joining us probably have got email from me. Um, I sent email yesterday even with no responses. Okay, can I suggest that um, isn't this something Rosalie would be responding to? Yeah. Um, I have been in touch with Rosalie, um, but still the noise is an issue. Unfortunately, still hasn't been addressed. It, it keeps on happening. And then the, uh, nobody has gotten back to me to see how this, how this hill has been measured. Okay, Ms. Burpita, we will get back to you. Uh, and how and when? So the city manager and the park manager will talk, and we'll, someone will get back to you tomorrow. And how? I mean, you, do you have my email or? I think so. All right, Lydia Rapida at yahoo.com, just for the record. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Council, your next speaker is Yi Zhao, who is also virtual, followed by Barry Swanson and then Johanna Palmer. Hi everyone, Emmy Zhao. Hi, as of this morning, I have now started officially as a new executive director of Imagine Housing. So I thought it'd be great for me to come here today to introduce myself and kind of talk about some of the things that I am really excited about and have a chance to do here at Imagine. Um, I understand that the city of Kirkland has been an amazing partner for this organization and that's a partnership I'm looking forward to continuing. And I'm really cognizant of some of the things I've heard around uh, how Imagine manages their properties, how we respond to resident um, complaints. And that's gonna be one of the first things that I'll be digging into. 
and thinking about how we can continue to bring more affordable housing units online here in King County. Um, yeah, I just want to take this opportunity to introduce myself and to come say hi to everyone. And I'm really looking forward to being able to work with everyone on the council and uh, to try to really, um, like I said, to bring some more units online here that's so very much needed. Thank you, Mr. Zell, and uh, welcome. Thank you. I'm sure we will be in touch. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thank you very much, everyone. Mr. Swanson. Um, good evening, uh, Mayor, Assistant Mayor, uh, Council, and uh, Kurt, thank you. My name is Barry Swanson. I'm here to represent uh, quite a few people from the Snyder's Park pop-up. Um, we're a dog family. We really enjoyed the park. Um, it just really brought a lot of us in the community. In fact, people of 30, 40 people I would have never hung out with, I've done all summer long. It's amazing because we're all walks of life, lawyers, doctors, staff, Google, Microsoft, all these people. And so I'm, I'm retired. I've been a curriculum resident since 95. And what this park means to me is um, that I can get out. My wife actually kicks me out. But I, she, <laughs> I get out and I bring my dog down there. And I have some people that actually know me by name. And it's so neat to say, hey, hi, Barry, what's going on? And it's just really, to me, it's uh, to the heart. Um, my experience has been a, a developer. Um, I've been building homes since for 35 years. And so what I saw when I came to the park, I said, great park, they put the fencing up, but right in the middle was this huge pile, not pile of dirt, but it's just a dirt just smoothed over. And there was grass over here, but there's just all dirt. So what I found out in my research was the fire department uses this for training. They use it for uh, extraction, uh, 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 trench um, evacuations, and also the city uses this park to uh, train uh, ex uh, 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 backhoe operators, things like that, for the city's use. So what I've done in my past is that when I have a development and I disturb the soil, I have to put some straw or something to contain that soil back on very soon, or I get fined uh, by the inspectors. So what I saw here was I said, well, Kirkland should know better than that. They should have put some straw down, put some seed down for us. Um, we dealt with that this whole summer. It was kind of hilarious because we let the dogs go out and play, and all of a sudden we had this whirlwind dust bunnies just coming like crazy for us. So I always kept the back of my truck open because I listened to music there too. So every week I think I had like a layer of dust on the dash, which is great. I could use my leaf blower and blow it out. Great. So, what I'm saying is that maybe shame on the city or shame on some department um, for not taking care of us. Giving us a park is great, kind of like candy, and then taking it away. But they should have actually amended the soil and taken care of that before they gave us the park. And so during that time, um, I brought some straw from one of my job sites just to actually distribute so to keep the dust down. Um, in fact, they shut the park down today. I was there, and I asked a few of the employees there on the maintenance group, um, say, well, can I just bring some straw for you guys? You've got to put down about 200 pounds of seed. 
And they go, yeah, we'll take care of that. So Mr. Swanson, went to Ace Hardware. Ace Hardware. Mr. Swanson, I'm sorry. Here we go. You have used up your time. I did. I'm sorry. No, it was great. Thank you. So just to be, yeah. So if you would like to give us more information, please do so on email, or you can give any one of us a telephone call. Our numbers right. are listed. Thanks. Mayor, your next speaker is Johanna Palmer, and she has some slides, followed by Alex Zimmerman, Phil Meganhart, and Colleen Clement. Uh, Joanna. Joanna. I've actually got a very short PowerPoint presentation, which hopefully is here. Let's see. Cassie's going to help you. Ah, there's mine. So we'll have to share it first. We need to minimize it because you're, you need to share oh. it first. Oh, okay. You need so to show choose, it? Choose share screen. The green one. Ah, okay. And now find it in the... Okay, it's off to the bottom left they said. Bottom left. Draft surface budget. Um, you can scroll down if you don't see it. Okay. Mine's tilting at windmills. There you go. Now hit share. Okay. Perfect. So we can get it in the zoom. Now you can go ahead and maximize it up here. Okay. Not now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go through that again. I'm sorry. We, well, now it's closed, so we need to we need to find it again. We we'll actually need to open. Yep. So we actually need to, it's not open, so we actually need to minimize the thing. I'm so sorry. And now open it here. That. Go ahead, double click it. Now go down to Zoom and open it again. There's Zoom, so you need to maximize that. That that one. Okay. Now hit share. Screen. Now locate. I love technology. It's, I think it's on the left whole thing. Oh, yep, now double click that. Now maximize it. The square. There. <laughs> now hit your, do your, do your slideshow. So I can hit slideshow mm -hmm. here. Okay. Sorry about all of that. Every now and then, I go up to 132nd Square Park to see what's going on because it's hard to see. I'm talking just about the Western upper part of the park, because that's very difficult to see from, uh, from the street. I went up there uh, after a, or off and on during the summer, and after 122 dry days, nothing had been done basically on the upper fields. The contractor had been given an extension because of a wet spring, and we know that there's going to be a play hill up here on the northern border. In the past couple of weeks, I, well, I went up just a couple days ago, and this is what I saw as I came in to, from the western entrance of the park. That arrow is pointing to the top of the berm. In the past several weeks, now that rain is on the horizon, lots of dirt, lots of hills has shown up in the park. This is what you can see from the northern neighbors here. In fact, Lydia, who talked earlier, is the northern neighbor. I met her today because I knocked on her door and asked if I could take pictures from her, from her backyard so we could see what it looked like. On the far left, I'm standing on the deck, which is several feet above the fence, and I'm about five feet tall. And I believe she was told that the play hill, this is the location where the play hill was supposed to be, 
would only be about four feet above the fence. The bottom of the base of the deck here is several feet above the fence and I'm five feet tall. So I'm kind of thinking it's not quite four feet above the fence. As you look further, kind of to the north, uh, southwest from the northern neighbors, that's the middle one from ground level. And then the next one is ground level looking south along the western fence line. So that play hill has become quite large. This is the view we get from the south entrance. We see a new hill here. This hill is not, was not part of that. This is some of the storage of the dirt. This is looking north, and even though this looks like an open flat area, it is not flat. It is sloping down to a drainage area. What seems to have happened, design changes were made without notice to our neighbors, the neighborhood and association and other parties. Taller, larger additional play hills and berms have occurred. They are close to walkways and fences and might be injury potential. We've lost level areas. We've lost visibility across the area. Adjacent neighbors no longer have visibility to see what's going on in the park. And it just seems that the contractor is getting a cheaper way to dispose of excessive dirt. And there's an awful lot of it in that park. We are very disappointed. This is, I just don't know what to say. Um, I was appalled when I saw the amount of dirt in that park. Thank you. Thank you. Madam Mayor, can I just make a quick comment on that? So I had a briefing from our capital projects team on this last week. So most of that dirt will be removed, and maybe when we get to the CIP um, public hearing, I can have staff say a little bit more about that. But, uh, but thank you, Joanna. But the, the most of that's going to be taken off. It's that dirt's not going to stay. Thank you. Council, your next speaker is Alex Zimmerman, followed by Phil Meganhart and Colleen Clement. Welcome, Mr. Zimmerman. Zihail, my dirty damn Nazi fascist mob bandita and psychopath, a mafia cartel. My name is Alex Zimmerman, I'm president of Stand Up America. Uh, guys, honestly, I very like you because you follow by Seattle. This uh, sign, what is you stopping? It's a typical for Seattle fascism. So I bring my memorandum so everybody can see this memorandum. You know what this means? Is this memorandum explain something what is, for my understanding, is the epicenter of fascism in America at the Seattle-looking country. So this organization, similar to you, Seattle Council, King Country Council, Sound Transit Board, Seattle School Board, Seattle Port Commissioner, PCRC meeting in Seattle City Club, never have a freedom of speech. Never. They never have this. Like Bellevue, Kirkland, Renton, Redmond, Mersley Island, and another dozen cities, what as I speak for many years. Guys, situation very simple right now. When we not stop this fascism, you know what it means. When we don't have our freedom of speech, how we can talking about America or Constitution or everything? You stopping your sign, so you're doing exactly what the Seattle do. By definition, you're more dangerous because we have this freedom of speech here, but don't have this in Seattle. In Seattle, a pure fascist and anti-Semite city, and I speak in Seattle many times. So situation right now very simple. I never have trespass from Bellevue, Kirkland, Redmond, 
Wesley Island are those of that city. From Seattle, I have 13 trespasses. Last trespass, I give a 4th of October in Jewish holiday. You know what this means? Is this very surprised me because I have before 12 trespasses for 1,200 days. And this fascism cannot stop it. So I speak right now to everybody who listens to me, and exactly people who vote for, vote for Democrat. Guys, are you freaking idiot? We have a fascism without freedom of speech fundamental for many years. You support this. Who are you? Are you a Nazi, all of it, who work for Democrat? A fascist or idiot? Degenerate idiot, what is I call super smart idiot. This is exactly what is I speak right now. And I want what is everybody has this. And I will give to consuls so they put in website. So I speak right now to everybody, stand up America, stop support fascism. It's idiotic situation. You understand what this means? I cannot understand about this. I cannot understand idiot. Yeah, dog shit, pardon. More important the freedom of speech. I understand this. So stand up America, stop acting like a pure degenerate idiot. Thank you very much. To who clerk? You, ma'am? Your next speaker is Phil Megenhart followed by Colleen Clement. Mr. Zimmerman. Okay. Okay, Kathy. Phil Megenhart, and then Colleen Clement, who is virtual. Welcome, Mr. Megenhart. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I am Phil Megenhart. I am uh, the event coordinator for Kirkland Uncorked, and I'm here to clean up uh, one of the slides from the October study session uh, from the Parks Department presentation regarding special event fees. Um, the parks used an estimated tourism draw of 35,000 uh, people to estimate a paid uh, admission um, uh, estimate, um, and it was not accurate. It was a uh, $35,000 at like $40 a person or something like that, uh, $1.9 million in revenue, which is not accurate at all. Uh, the Parks Department, uh, uh, instead of using tourism data, uh, estimated tourism data, uh, could have used um, or should have used uh, admission tax data, uh, which shows an attendance of 4,054 people. Uh, very different than the 35,000 estimated draw over the three-day weekend. Um, two different very num two different uh, numbers, of course. Uh, there's a lot to be figured out regarding the proposed event fees, and I am happy to see that this council uh, is willing to look further into the proposed uh, increase um, uh, by the Parks Department. Events in our city are award-winning. They're beautiful. They bring our, our community together, uh, and I am proud to be uh, uh, an event producer for over 20 years here in the city of Kirkland. And I feel that um, the economic impact and the tourism draw um, for these events are quite amazing. And I believe that the Parks Department, and I look forward to working with the Parks Department to figure out um, how to help uh, determine a fair and equitable solution for the events and for the parks and for the city and our community. So thank you so much. Thank you. Mayor, your last speaker is Colleen Clement, and she's virtual, so we'll promote her now.
Yes, hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can, welcome. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm gonna be audio only tonight, but uh, my name is Colleen Clement and I'm a resident of Kirkland. I think many of you probably have heard of me or spoken with me in the past. Uh, thank you, Mayor, Council and City Manager for this opportunity tonight. Um, I'd like to speak about the adoption of the 2023 Legislative Priorities Resolution, which is R5563. But initially, I'd like to speak just as an individual and say that I support the top priorities, which include protecting an individual's reproductive rights and advancing gun safety. Now I'm gonna put on my hat as a steering committee member for the People for Climate Action and speak on their behalf for the remainder topic of priority, uh, which is a legislative agenda that speaks to the general principle that supports uh, the long-term sustainability efforts for the city, its environment, and more specifically, I would like to state on behalf of our organization that we strongly support the prioritization legislation that is contained in the appendix that says protect the natural environment and meet the needs of the community for a healthy environment and a clean energy without compromising the needs of the future generation. As a longstanding Kirkland City ally, the People for Climate Action has consistently submitted an annual legislative priorities request. And however, this year, we're extremely excited and encouraged to hear that we have advanced our priorities from a support position, which is where we've been in the past, to now a priority status. So I wanted to just thank uh, everyone without going into details on why this prioritization is so important um, especially in the face of uh, our apparent climate impacts. But I would just like to reiterate our strong support and thank the members of the Kirkland Legislative Work Group that includes uh, Council Member Curtis, Council Member Black, Mayor Sweet, and City Manager Triplett on making this a legislative priority. And I think it's a priority that will benefit all of us in the present and in the future. And I wanna thank the council for your support in voting in favor of adopting this resolution. So thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Clement. Okay, uh, that takes us to the end of our list. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council at this time? Okay, seeing none, I will declare this items from the audience period closed. That takes us to item number six, public hearings. Our first public hearing is the preliminary 2023-24 budget and the 23-28 capital improvement program. This is a public hearing to receive public comments on the preliminary 2023-24 budget and 23-28 capital improvement program. No formal council action is anticipated this evening. Uh, I will now open the public hearing. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. So here to give you the overview for the public hearing is George Dugdale, our financial planning manager. Um, I've also invited uh, Julie Underwood, our public works director, just to speak a little bit about what's happening at 132nd Square Park um, at the end of George's presentation. George. Thank you, City Manager, and good evening again, Mayor and Council Members, just sharing my screen here. So as as was said in the intro, this, we're having a public hearing on both the 2023 preliminary budget and the 2023-2028 capital um, improvement program. This is the first of two uh, public hearings on the preliminary budget. The next will be on November 15th. 
So the 2023-24 preliminary budget. So this slide recaps where the budget can be found on the Summer City's website. Um, there are three documents available. The first is the budget book itself. The second is a book of all the service packages, which is the additions to the budget. And the third are budget white papers or issue papers that deal more in more detail with key issues in the budget. Also available is the, um, the packet and the a video from last uh, last Tuesday, October 25th, um, study session where we dived into the budget in detail. These documents and the study session set out how the city aims to sustain services and build a community where everyone belongs, and they show the culmination of work that has taken place over the last few years. And as I said after tonight, we have another public hearing on November 15th before final adoption on December 13th. In summary, the budget is um, just over $1 billion. The largest individual fund is the general fund with 29% of the budget. This general fund contains the city's public safety, fire and police um, departments, as well as some parks, transportation and central services such as finance, the city manager's office and others. The city also has other operating funds, uh, which include park special revenue funds for parks and streets, internal service funds for IT and fleet and facilities, uh, three utility funds, for uh, which are shown there, solid waste, surface water, and water sewer, and then a, a range of non-operating funds that deal with capital, debt service, and special revenues. I will say that of the 1.2 billion, about 45% is either reserves, internal transfers, or money moving, other funding moving between funds. The size of the new revenue and new expenditures in the city over the next two years is about 560 million. Moving into the capital improvement program, the 2023-2028, apologies for that typo, capital improvement program. So this was has been presented to council twice so far on July 19th and the October 4th. There is also a study session on November 15th, which it will be in part dedicated to the capital improvement program. On October 19th, the documents were published on the city's website. There are two books. One is the project summary and includes a transmittal memo and the other shows the detail for all of the different projects. To look at the CIP in overview again, there are uh, the CIP continues key investments in transportation, parks, general government projects, and public safety. Um, key projects in these areas are the city's fire station program, the significant investments in 100th Avenue Northeast, and 124th Avenue. The CIP also includes significant investments in the city's utilities across six years, which is shown there at the bottom of the table. Um, before moving on to my next slide, which sums up the upcoming calendar, this is where I could hand over to discuss the 132nd Square Park. Hi there. Good evening. Good evening, Council. I, I did want to um, update you about the 132nd Square Park. Um, and I just want to apologize um, that we probably could have gotten maybe some information out on where the progress is with the park, but as uh, the city manager noted, um, that dirt is not meant to be there long term. Um, we will grade uh, that dirt according to the design specs. And um, just to, to kind of have our community please be patient that that project is still under construction. And I also want to apologize to Ms. Rapita, she has contacted us in the past. I'm very, very disappointed to hear that the co contractor is um, violating our noise ordinance. So we will 
definitely be contacting the contractor um, about this again. So, and we will of course follow up with Ms. Rapita on this as well, but yes, that dirt is not intended to stay there. The park will be um, uh, as designed and um, obviously we're anxious to get that project done. Thank you, Julie. Mary should be available as a panelist now. I'm sorry, Kathy, I didn't hear you. Mary Gardaki is available as a panelist as well to speak to that. Just if council had further questions, Mary Gardaki uh, from Parks is also available to answer more technical questions. Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor. There is a lot of excess soil dirt on that property. Have we, and I really don't want to see it go to a landfill when we start dumping it out of it. Are we thinking creatively on where we can possibly use that dirt on in other projects? Absolutely, I think that's a, that's a great point. We don't, if there is an opportunity for us to use that soil, that dirt in a different area, we will definitely do that. Well, it, 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 most of it is topsoil, so of course I can't help but think uh, pea patches, <laughs> other things like that. So, okay, let me know what you decide to do with it. Thank you. Oh, definitely. We'll update council. Wasn't, wasn't there one design that had to be altered slightly because of a problem with the berm? Um, we we did add an additional um, foot to that berm. There were some concerns about um, uh, the the drainage, and so we wanted to assure the adjacent property owners that there would would not be any um, drainage onto their private property. So we did make that modification to the design, um, and we we do believe the design is sound and um, will properly drain um, as, as, uh, as we had designed it. Great, thank you. Uh, Councilmember Black. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. And is Julie still on the panel? Yes, okay. sir. There she is, okay. Um, just so we can be as clear as we possibly can for our own edification and also for the, uh, the public, the, the berm that I think you're describing that got raised one foot for purposes of stormwater drainage. That was on the south and southwest side of the park, correct? Uh, yes, I believe that's correct. And the large, the large, the large um, resurfaced area that um, is shown in the design that's part of the park, that I think was pictured in the pictures that um, uh, that. Johanna showed, um, that's, not the, that's not the berm that got raised a foot, just to be clear. No, sir, yeah, no, no, that, what, what we saw in, in those um, photos um, is just really where we're storing some dirt temporarily, it's not the same. Okay, thank you. Yes. Thank you, any other questions? Okay, thank you for that. Or are we back to George? Back to the public hearing. So okay. the presentation, I think, has one more slide. Uh, so George, if you can finish that. It, yes, it does. So just to look through the calendar for the rest of um, 
for the rest of between now and adoption on December 13th. After tonight, we have, like as I mentioned, the study session on the 2328 CIP, as well as public hearings on both property tax and the 2324 budget. We also have um, some an opportunity to complete callouts with deliberations on the budget, as well as the preliminary 2023 property tax ordinance. And then on December 13th, we are back to adopt everything, the 23-24 budget, as well as the CIP, property tax, and final amendments to the current budget. And with that, I can hand over for public comment. Thank you, George. Um, Council, any questions for George or his team? Seeing none, um, I will now call upon any members of the public who have signed up to address the Council. Your first sign up is Celestina Hendrickson from the Kirkland Downtown Association. One second. Uh, Celestina, one sec, I left out a line. Um, the telephone participants who can st still dial star nine to be recognized to speak, and anybody in here can do so by um, raising their hand to be recognized to speak. Celestina, please. Welcome. Thank you. Ennis will help you with your presentation. Hello, everybody. I'm Celestina. I'm the events manager at the Kirkland Downtown Association. I'm reaching out to the council today. So thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to speak. Um, I'm going to be discussing potential uh, funding consideration for visitor center technology at the um, Kirkland Visitor Center. And so I wanted to talk about our mission and our vision really quickly. Um, I would love for you to take that into consideration as we go through the details in this presentation. Um, our mission is to promote events and beautification to encourage people to visit, live, shop, work, and play in Kirkland. And then our vision is to create a vibrant, connected community. So with that in mind, we wanna adopt technology solutions in our visitor center to really enhance the vision. And I wanted to talk about why we decided technology would be the best. Well, we think that technology is an integral part of our culture and it's a helpful tool to boost engagement, bringing the community together to streamline services and off offerings at a click of a button. And not only that, we are a technology hub. I mean, uh, Google is here and um, I think it's important to understand that culture that exists here. Um, and we've decided that kiosk would be a great opportunity um, for the visitor center and the city of Kirkland to implement. Um, kiosks are a fun and easy way to provide locals with information and take it on the go. Uh, they are powered by Google and are easy to use and update on the back end. And I wanted to also say why today? Uh, well, visitor centers across the globe are using kiosk type systems and um, they are there to engage with the public, and I think it's our turn to do the same today. Um, I wanted to briefly go over some of the capabilities and functions that kiosk systems would be able to um, do. The first is that it has multilingual and accessibility services. This is really important because that means anyone is able to use these systems and features. Um, any language, can be used on here and does the exact same programming, um, which I think is super important. The kiosk provides multilingual concierge service for virtually any language and to those with special accessibility needs. 
Uh, digital itinerary planning is another offering. We had an open house at our visitor center and one of the biggest things that people asked for was digital itinerary planning. That was huge. And this is a great way to help visitors and residents find attractions, information, and more, and increase word of mouth repeat among visitors. Um, and then this is also a great way to generate revenue. Uh, driving extra revenue through promoted content, business listings, and relevant ad placements. There's also features for guest experience tools to track and improve guest experiences like wayfinding, amenities, information, signups, and surveys. So we don't have to go through the whole, here's a paper and pen process. It's a quick and easy way to collect data that we could share with the city of Kirkland for a multitude of reasons. Um, there's also easy content updates. Um, you can update from really anywhere on your phone. Um, if I'm at a conference, I can update on the back end, and that's been super helpful, and it's really easy to post um, on social media as well. And there's also continuous improvements. What's really cool is that this kiosk experience improves over time as applications and software capabilities increase. And we will get the up-to-date newest features right when they become available, which is great, because we'll have all of those services right at our fingertips. Um, it is also a straightforward user interface. Um, they can be set up in minutes and remotely managed. With advanced integrations, data can automatically sync with our website and thousands of other platforms like Explore Kirkland and other social media and different initiatives that the city has. And then lastly, um, we want to have apps that matter. Um, integrate applications and content from your website and third-party applications like mapping tools or videos to showcase impressive regional stories. So I just wanted to briefly highlight that this is not kiosk or not a new thing. There's a lot of visitor centers across um, the globe and across the United States that are using these. And these are just a few of the places that are implementing kiosk type systems for their visitor centers. And you can see even a picture here. And so I wanted to talk briefly about why this is a benefit and how this is a benefit to, um, to the city of, of Kirkland. Well, first of all, more visitor traffic equals more visibility. Being able to see something on a kiosk in big letters is, is gonna be amazing for, um, for everyone. And, what, and um, touchscreen technology also, again, aligns with the um, current cultural needs and it boosts interactivity as well. A kiosk can also be curated around the needs and seasonality. So again, language services, uh, programs like Kirkland Cash, um, shop local Kirkland and uh, different seasonal initiatives too. So if it's winter time and you want to promote winter events, you know, you can curate it based on those, which I think is great. Um, I'm going to also go over, of course, since we're talking about budget, the, um, the pricing structure, but um, we've shopped around and we believe that this is an affordable solution for, for the city of Kirkland. In addition, it's easy to use both on the front end and the back end, um, family-friendly kids, and adults can use it alike. And also it's fun. Who doesn't like to touch um, uh, touch screens and stuff like that? So I wanna go through the pricing model briefly. So here are some types of options that we've we've noticed and that we've liked. Um, we are, we've shopped around and we've decided that Hootboard um, is a company that operates this and they're the ones that we've gone with for this presentation. I wanna go over the pricing briefly here. 
And so what we are requesting specifically is going to be one of the indoors and or two of the indoors and uh, two of the outdoors as well too. Um, but I will go over the pricing now. So the indoor one is skinny, transportable and light, ideal for visitor centers and conferences. And with this option um, and the mounted option as well, they're both indoor and they have an annual subtotal of $2,400, which is just $200 a month, um, which includes 24 seven help, backend and performance maintenance. This one time expense for both of these would be $6,799, which includes shipping, installation and wiring of the product, which for a total of $9,199. And this is just for one. Um, and then uh, for the outdoor option, which is great for parks, business places, and other exterior areas, the annual subtotal is $4,800, $400 a month. And this is an estimate because of various factors like considering the hard wiring, the concrete, the construction, et cetera. The one time would be 32,499 estimation. And so, our ask specifically, um, and taking a look at all of the products and services, we've uh, decided and determined that we are looking for two outdoor kiosks and two interior kiosks. And as you can see, I broke it down into year one and year two because those costs are gonna be different. Year one is gonna be more expensive because it's going to include the hard wiring, the, um, you know, the setup, the installation, the shipping, et cetera. And of course, the outdoor are gonna be more expensive because you'll have to consult with local construction teams and those prices are, are estimate. But overall, what we're requesting, what we're requesting is about $60,000, um, which it also includes, the, um, we're leaving room for some of the estimated cost as well. Um, and we believe that that is gonna be a good price for our phase one. Um, we believe that we'd like to implement this um, by May, pending implementation, and um, then we would love to request additional kiosk in different locations. We also have some recommendations that the outdoors be placed in heavy traffic areas like downtown Kirkland, Juanita, Totem Lake, Carillon Point, Kirkland Urban, et cetera. Those are just some examples. And I just wanted to say thank you so much I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this um, conversation. Let's put, put the Kirkland Visitor Center on the map. If you have any questions, please email me. Here is my email. Um, and then you can also visit our website to see what we're doing, uh, kirklanddowntown.org. You can give me a call if you wanna chat more about this. I'm always happy to have a discussion with you. And then also, most importantly, please visit our um, Visitor Center. We'd love to show you around to see exactly what we have for our vision. So thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. Here, go ahead. I have a quick question, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. And thank you for serving on the Parks Funding Sports. Oh, really thank you. Yes. You're mm -hmm. um, a participation. Yes. Have you looked at, is there an opportunity to connect an app in addition to this kiosk? Have you looked at that? Yes, yes. So this kiosk can do really anything that in the internet can do. So... If I go to the kiosk, it can say download this Kirkland app and then I can walk away with it on my phone? Yeah, How you can, that? yes, yeah, you can access, you can access everything on your phone and then you can also access it on your computer as well, like through, through an app, yes. Okay, yeah. thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Thank you, Celestina. 
Your next speaker is Ron Snell, followed by Anna Carroll. Welcome, Mr. Snell. Okay, uh, Mayor Sweet and members of the council, my name is Ron Snell, and I'm speaking tonight on behalf of uh, Peoples for Climate Action Kirkland. First of all, I want to thank the council for the support that they've given to the Energy Smart Program and for giving Kirkland residents the opportunity to learn about and purchase high-efficiency heat pumps for their homes. And now I'm going to ask the council for something more. I'm going to ask you to take this program and expand it to a more comprehensive residential energy efficiency and electrification program, which would include building weatherization, heating and hot water, heat pumps, and a host of other, potentially a host of other uh, energy improvements. I'm not going to speak in great detail about this proposal. Uh, I've sent all the council members a copy of the proposal uh, this morning, and uh, you can certainly follow up with uh, questions you may have. But it's going to be especially, I think, uh, beneficial to Kirkland residents um, because of the age of much of our housing stock. Most of the houses here in Kirkland were built before 1986, which is rough 70% um, of our houses, which was before the state building code included uh, residential um, uh, heating efficient requirements. So what it means is that a lot of these homes would greatly benefit from a comprehensive uh, energy efficient uh, energy retrofit and electrification program. And it would make their homes safer, healthier, and it would both reduce both their energy costs and their carbon pollution. And the reason we're asking for this now is now is the time to act. With the new federal rebates and tax credits for residential improvements available soon through the Information Reduction Act, um, it's, it's going to provide a host of incentives. Unfortunately, these incentives alone will not result in significantly improved homes. What needs to happen is to be truly impactful, there need to be local programs which will utilize the federal, to utilize the federal funding, but these must be in place to provide administrative structure for the residents to actually access uh, these programs. Uh, because of the scale of this funding and because of the number of houses that need to be retrofitted, it's going to be extremely beneficial if Kirkland partner with other cities and particularly the county for these particular types of programs. So what we'd like to see happen is during this current budget cycle, Kirkland, along with other local governments, to collaborate together and come up with a funding structure to provide a strong administrative program uh, for, the program, for the program to expand uh, residential efficiency uh, and a variety of electrification programs. It's best, going to be the best way to take advantage of the available federal funding. We don't want to let this money get away. Thank you very much for considering this request. Thank you, Mr. Snell. Your last speaker who signed up to speak is Anna Carroll, and she's virtual, so we'll promote her. Thank you. Mr. Snell, we don't seem to have received we don't seem to have received your communication this morning. Um, I got a response back from the city. Oh, it probably I, I sent it through the budget um, email. Okay. And I did get a response back. So I assume the city received it. I assume we'll see it then. Okay. We'll track it down. <laughs> Welcome, Ms. Carroll. Uh, so my name is Anna Carroll. Um, I am a Kirkland resident and homeowner since 2009. 
I also happen to be the campaign manager of Together Center, a nonprofit that's based in Redmond, serves the greater east side. And I'm here today to uh, both personally and professionally endorse uh, the special request that the council is gonna be considering in the capital improvement project budget uh, to fund a capital project for Together Center. For those of you who aren't familiar, Together Center is a nonprofit human services hub where our bricks and mortar are based in downtown Redmond. We're three, three blocks from the transit center and five blocks from the future light rail station. So we're very accessible to the greater east side. And we have 20 different nonprofit providers who have their services, uh, offer services out of the Together Center. And um, via that, clients in, and our neighbors in need can come and access a full array of essential services, everything from healthcare, mental health, to economic assistance, all in one location. And the nonprofit providers get to save essential resources by having a, um, by, by pooling their resources as nonprofits themselves and a nonprofit landlord together center. So we're in the midst of a large capital project and um, our request is to fund that capital project and the expansion of this vital nonprofit infrastructure. This will be a 49,000 square foot uh, human services hub that we'll be expanding to and uh, We'll be preserving that space for decades to come. Uh, I won't go into much depth. We've sent info to the council and we've had um, staff members, uh, city, city staff members out and council member Curtis, Falcone and Nixon have all been out to tour. Um, so I will, uh, I will not go into great depth on what we do, but I did want to highlight that in 2021, we had about 30,000 clients that came to Together Center. Those clients are coming from all across the greater east side and beyond Seattle, uh, north, north and south King County. Um, though our bricks and mortar are in Redmond, Kirkland was tied for uh, second most served city with Bellevue. About 15% of our clients last year came from city of Kirkland, which equates to about 4,500 residents, uh, Kirkland residents that are accessing services there. So as you can see, it's a vital resource and essential infrastructure for Kirkland as well as the greater east side. And um, so I will, I will stop there and just say, I am happy to answer any questions about Together Center, the capital project or this request. Council questions? I think we got the message, Ms. Carroll. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council with regard to this item? Okay, seeing none, the public comment portion of this hearing is now closed. Council will consider all public comments received on this issue, including those submitted in writing. This takes us to item B, the Comcast Cable Television Franchise Renewal, first reading. Ordinance 4822, granting Comcast Cable Communications, LLC, renewal of a non-exclusive franchise for transmission of cable television services in, through, over, and under the street rights of way of the City of Kirkland. This is a public hearing to receive public comments on, on the Comcast Cable Television Franchise Renewal. No formal City Council action is anticipated this evening. I will now open the public hearing. City Manager. 
Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. To give the overview to start the public hearing as our Public Works Director, John Starbird. I'm joined by Stephanie Kroll from the City Attorney's Office. Welcome. John, you're on mute. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time I've been on a video conference. Uh, uh, Mayor Sweet, Deputy Mayor Arnold, City Councilors, and Mr. Triplett, um, uh, Ms. Kroll and I are here to present to you the staff recommended 10-year uh, non-exclusive franchise agreement with Comcast Cable Television Service. Um, if the uh, uh, those in the council chamber could open up the PowerPoint presentation, please. Um, the What's the name of that? It's at Comcast Cable. Okay. So the um, the recommended staff recommended ten year franchise agreement. Um, essentially, that this proposed franchise agreement, as every franchise agreement establishes the terms by which, we may move to the next slide, the terms by which uh, a franchisee may operate in the rights of way of the city. Um, the proposed term is from January 1st, 2023 until the end of 2032. Um, the Cable television franchise agreement uh, provides a number of additional services to the city, such as the public educational and governmental channels that are provided by Comcast for uh, use by the city, programming by the city, and benefit of the public. On the Comcast network, those are channels 21 and 75. Um, the agreement specifies, specifies the types or categories of programming that will be provided by Comcast, not individual programs. Um, and then the agreement has numerous other provisions such as customer service standards and the city's right to audit Comcast's financial records as they relate to Kirkland and uh, the right of the city to terminate the franchise agreement under certain conditions. The franchise agreement itself, which is in your packet, is approaching 50 pages. We attempted to summarize the sections of the agreement in the staff report in your council materials. Um, next slide, please. The previous uh, Comcast franchise agreement was from 2006 to 2016, and it expired and staff worked with Comcast for a period of two years to try to negotiate a new franchise. During that same period of time, the Federal Communications Commission was considering rules that um, appeared to be more favorable to the cable television industry. Um, specifically, it was that cable television providers could take full financial credit for the additional services they were providing to a local jurisdiction, such as cable 
services to libraries or police or fire stations, et cetera. And so when it came, the, the Kirkland City Council approved a new franchise with Comcast in August of 2018. However, at that time, Comcast refused to sign. Kirkland joined with other local jurisdictions in the United States to appeal the FCC's new rule. And to a degree, local governments prevailed um, in that the cost of services to the local government were required to be at a marginal cost rather than a full cost. Um, during that period of time when between when Comcast refused to sign the 2018 agreement and now Comcast has been operating on a month-to-month -month basis. Next slide, please. So in Washington State, any franchise agreement requires a first reading before the legislative body. A first reading is not necessarily a public hearing, but an opportunity for the public to comment. We've chosen to make that obligation a public hearing tonight. No less than five days after the first reading, the legislative body, the Kirkland City Council, may take action on the proposed franchise agreement. Uh, we're, we have scheduled action on the franchise for November 15th, and were the council to approve the agreement, it would take effect on January 1st, 2023. Uh, importantly, Comcast has already signed this agreement. So once the Kirkland City Council has made its decision, if it approves the agreement uh, and authorizes the city manager to sign it, it will become effective on January 1st of this coming year. Tonight, there is no specific action required of the council at the conclusion of the public hearing. Senior Assistant City Attorney Stephanie Kroll is also here tonight. Uh, she negotiated the new franchise with Comcast, and she and I are happy to try to answer the council's questions. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, John. Any questions for John from the council? It looks like you're going to go scot-free. <laughs> um, I will now call upon any members of the public who have signed up to address the council. The only one who signed up is Alex Zimmerman. Mr. Zimmerman. Zikhail, <laughs> my... My lovely concert, I'm pure freaking idiot. <laughs> Thank you very much for giving me time to speak about Comcast. It's my old friend, you know what I mean? And I try to understand why they charge like a 70 bucks for something what is supposed to be for free or maybe $10. I don't understand this. And I speak about this many times in different cities. <laughs> Guys, I leave the story five years, and I try to understand why in this location, for example, Kirkland, for example, why all people are slap, are idiot. This is a business. You have power of doing contract. So give him contract for 1,000 years for $10 per month for internet. Why not? 
When in Tory radio come, nobody pay for radio station. Everybody pay only for, what is his name? Yeah. Mm, yeah, computer in Tory, for example. I try to understand how is this possible, you know what is mean? Why you make from this for last Tory year in my eyes, people lo look like a slave, you know what is mean? It's a nightmare, I don't understand. It's a competition. Stop them, ask them simple question. I give you 100-year contract. You charge $10 for internet for everybody. That's it. There is problem. They make a billion and billion dollars. Why people around what is, I live here, you know, and I live in Bellevue for 35 years, I try to understand how is this possible? Well, people for last two years in America start being like slaves in this location. Look, Amazon poster become right now. Bring 25, 35,000 people to Bellevue. We all pay for this. Everybody around 20 miles, Kirkland, Redmond, Bellevue, Mesley Island, and probably around, will pay more and more money, and people quiet. Look, New York, they refuse Amazon. Why we cannot do this? And Comcast is a good example, you know what it means? Right now, service supposed to be for free. They make billion and billion dollars for last how many? 30 years when I use you? So this is a point right now, what is we have right now. Is this exactly I try to understand? How is this possible? A free country like America come right now and look like a, what is this? Yeah, maybe Trump absolutely right. Yeah. What is this country from Africa or from South America? What is this? A dictator country. Yeah, absolutely. So here's this Comcast, you can negotiate. You have a power. Yeah. You can stop an Amazon or Microsoft or Google, or another corporation who suck blood and money from us. My question right now, why you cannot talk to them? I'm a businessman for all my life. When somebody comes to me and talking, first what is for me interesting, how much this cost? I like this, I have business. I don't like, I don't have business. Where is problem? Ask them, $10 for everybody without exception. They will be agree, no, out. You can find right now everybody who can provide internet. Is this a problem, what is we have? I don't understand why you negotiate with them when everything very simple, or my way or freeway. That's it. So make people happy. Why you cannot make people happy? You're not stopping. Uh, Microsoft, I spoke to a year ago, 96. Uh, you're not stopping Amazon. You're not stopping Google. You're not stopping nobody. And everybody pay for this. Everybody, ever people who work for them pay. So what is the sense of everything? Huh? Is this America? It's a business country, a best of the best in business in this planet. I don't understand. Where is the problem? When I'm in your chair, you know what it means. I ask him a simple question. You want business with us? $10 for service. This is it. In many countries have right now this. They charge 75 bucks for minimum. Guys, come on, about you talking. They can provide $10. They did this only for very low-income disabled people. And they make doing this for everybody. Come to 25 bucks. Very somehow right now $25 service for everybody. But very don't did this for very long time. Let me give you an example. This crook did this for many years. 
they have enough money, as money with us blood, because it's not everybody can afford 70 bucks per month for internet. Is this a problem, what we have right now? Guys, I'm so sorry. Look to me like a pure freaking idiot. I don't understand. Where is you going? Where is America going right now? Where is Kirkland going? Bellevue going? Where is we going now? What is sense for this? Why we elect you? You know what it mean? For who? For people or for them? This is a problem what is we have right now. Sorry for my emotional opinion. You know what it mean? But this looks so idiotic. I cannot find another word. You know what it mean? Or maybe you work with them together. Maybe they give you money. You know what it means? So you will be support them. Huh? Or Amazon. Or Microsoft. Huh? Yeah? You have a personal opinion. I call this this uh, super smart idiot. You know what it means? You care about this? Not you care only about your, pardon, personal constitution. So guys, come on. It's very simple. You have power right now doing this. Now, give them contract. No problem. $10. Okay, $10. Maybe 12 maybe 8 But something what is need for everybody is time right now. They, for so long, suck blood and money from money. They can make a billion, a billion. It's not secret for everybody. This is a point. Like Amazon, make a dozen and dozen billion dollars, trillion now. So it's everything very simple. Thank you very much. I never see like this. Nobody give me chance to speak more than three minutes in my life. But right now, I think I speak more than three minutes, and I very appreciate you about this. Stop acting like an idiot, like a slave. Start acting on behalf of America, behalf of people. It's important right now. We are all in deep, deep hole. The situation will be worse and worse and worse. God bless America, you know what it means, when we don't come to atomic war. Thank, Thank you, you very much yeah. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? I will now uh, close the public comment portion of this hearing. Council will consider all comments received on this issue, including those submitted in writing. Madam Mayor, yes, I ask a question of staff. Oh, absolutely. I've got a question for the senior assistant city attorney. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I can appreciate the point that Mr. Zimmerman is making about public benefit around internet access, but um, uh, does this agreement that we're talking about involve internet access? And even if it did, um, do we have the authority to, or uh, do we have the authority to regulate internet access? Thank you. So um, this agreement has only to do with cable service. Um, and uh, right now, we do not have authority to regulate beyond what's in this, you know, some things in the statute, the, the price of internet access or anything like that. Thank you. Thank you. That will therefore take us to the, our next item of business, the special presentations, the 2023-24 uh, budget community feedbacks. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. So, as you know, we've been reaching out to the public in a variety of ways, and a council is interested in hearing that feedback. Some you've already heard um, in the last couple of weeks, but we wanted to give you an update on all the efforts to inform your final decisions in November and December. So, here to give that presentation is Jim Lopez, our Deputy City Manager of External Affairs. 
Thank you very much, city manager. And uh, well, uh, it's my pleasure to be here tonight. Just gonna go ahead and share my screen. Running around a little bit. Hopefully you can see that screen now. Is that working? Yes, it is. Oh, great. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you, Deputy Mayor and Council. Jim Lopez, Deputy City Manager. And it's really my pleasure to be here tonight to talk a little bit about our budget community feedback. Really big uh, uh, shout out and a lot of gratitude to David Walbrick and the communications team for putting this PowerPoint together and doing so much of this work. And also to our community conversations team, which was multi-departmental city manager's office and the public works department, Ray Steiger really took the lead on the community conversation around the transportation uh, benefits district. And a lot, I'm very appreciative of Ray and everybody that worked on that project as well. So tonight uh, I am nothing if not consistent. I have four sections to my presentation and we'll start with the general fund which we had a lot of interesting uh, feedback on through our budget game. And we'll talk about that in some detail. Uh, we also had a, a full on community conversation around the transportation benefit district and the $20 car tabs. And we'll talk a little bit about the feedback we got on that endeavor. Um, I'll talk briefly about the revenue generating regulatory license outreach. As, as you all know, of course, that you voted on this. We did a lot of outreach prior to that vote. So for the sake of uh, completeness, we'll talk a little bit about what we did there. And then briefly next steps about how we wanna keep the council informed about everything we're doing to get feedback from the community about everything that you're doing on the budget. So let's jump right into the general fund. Um, the general fund provides various public services, including public safety and street maintenance and land use and parks and administrative functions. It really is our most flexible fund uh, taxes, fees, and charges, and contributions from other governments are the primary finance sources. It's kind of really what the public thinks in many cases about the city, what the city budget is. The fund generally comes, this fund has more discretion than some of the other city funds. So staff basically focused on the broad budget, the broad budget outreach around this fund, and we used our engagement strategies to kind of take the temperature of the folks about what they, how they would divide up um, resources and services around the general fund. And um, thank you to the city council. These color pictures depict each of the video presentations that you did, and we are so grateful. They were each excellent and a wonderful way to connect to our community about the, about the budget. Um, we sent news releases and we pushed these out through social media. Um, we. Uh, asked folks to participate through our listserv this week in Kirkland. We had in-person events and we reached out to the Greater uh, Kirkland Chamber of Commerce to help us engage folks around this endeavor with the general fund. And um, our principal and kind of fun, basically, form of feedback collection was uh, a game called uh, Balancing Act. And what basically the game did was it allowed people to step into the shoes of our city council and kind of experience the difficult decisions that one has to make rising to the level of uh, meeting the community's need for services, while at the same time, you know, you got to balance the budget and the, the game really forces you to make the hard decisions needed to balance the budget. So there were about 139 submissions. This was as of October 22nd. And we had feed, email feedback through the budget feedback uh, link uh, email.
and our Kirkland feedback around our endeavors. This was 139 submissions, 10 emails, and eight feedback um, messages. So a little bit about the game. Like I said, the community got to sit in the shoes or sit in the chair, walk in the shoes of a council member and uh, talk about, you know, first assess what type of revenue um, might the community be interested in. Uh, we, we created categories around the common things like business license and vehicle license, <laughs> parking fee and potential ballot measures. And of course, the 1% property tax. Uh, each of those categories, other than the property tax, you couldn't decrease. They were only options to increase to because there's, there was no uh, reduction. Other than the property tax, you could reduce taxes. So you see the percentages here, um, business, business license uh, increase being the top category, follow closely behind by parking fees. Property tax folks actually chose to decrease um, um, by 1% to 7%. Now, as a corollary to the revenue, staff kind of synthesized our thinking and understanding of what um, community uh, interests uh, might be in terms of expenditures or de uh, uh, devoting additional resources. These are the kinds of things that staff kind of synthesized might be of the community's interest. So we created these categories from pothole filling uh, more aquatic sidewalks and flashing beacons, sidewalks and bike lanes and overall pedestrian safety, affordable housing, homelessness uh, services, acquiring open spaces and better street median maintenance. And you can see it was generally well distributed among the participants, uh, really even actually, uh, kind of a de minimis uh, difference. Uh, the top vote getter was uh, putting resources to pothole filling, but you can see Across the board, there seemed to be almost equal priority as to what we might invest our funding in. Now, all of those categories, we rolled up those more detailed categories of uh, um, priority expenses into these uh, broader categories. And I think there's eight um, broader categories of what staff kind of broke down in an intuitive way as to how uh, the city through the general fund um, creates our goods and services for the community. And we totaled it up because in the budget game, you could make broader allocations of funding inside each of these categories, as well as the more detailed categories that I just talked about. So we, we put it all together and came up with this result. And you can see human services at the bottom had the largest uh, total change in terms of um, picking where, you know, zero sum game where you would divert your additional resources. Parks and recreation had the highest aggregate amount. And you'll see parks and, and public works kind of a theme in the game, um, transportation and transfer to parks and public works being the other reasonably big winners in this very, very small, but interesting and insightful sample from our community. So this is kind of the feedback um, and the themes behind the feedback about where folks would um, devo devote the scarce resources or the resources that we have to balance the budget. Maybe not scarce, uh, but definitely resources. So the key, key themes from the feedback, there were concerns about inflation and the level of taxes and fees. That's kind of a top line concern, uh, no surprise. 
Uh, there's a mixture of opinion as to whether the city should be increasing taxes and fees during a time uh, with some big opposed to increases and some being some being opposed to increases and some being supportive of the increases. So it's really kind of contextual to the time that we're in today. Uh, opportunity for additional awareness and education on the property tax, the city's budgeting process overall, and the city's services and programs. I know the council has talked about this in the past, but we really did discover that in terms of definitions and what we're talking about, we really do need to do a lot more education about what the departments, what we mean when we say development services or other things that um, we talk about that we fund so that people have a more kind of detailed and intuitive understanding of what what we're, what we're what they would be funding. And that goes right to the actual budget process itself. So there's a, a lot of work to be done in terms of awareness and education. And we're very grateful for the folks that did participate and gave their insight. So that was kind of our general fund outreach. Um, there were more specific strategies around uh, some of these um, initiatives, starting with the Transportation Benefit District. Uh, as you know, of course, you adopted the ordinance assuming the rights of the Transportation Benefit District back in February, which gives you the opportunity to potentially raise $20 as a councilmatic vehicle. This is a vehicle uh, license fee, car tab, which as we inform the community could be used to accelerate funding for safer routes to schools, transportation projects, tree and street median team. All of the um, information around the TBD was encompassed in a very comprehensive landing page, which I believe we put in our deck, but um, I mean, in our memo. And we really put out a lot of information about the reasons behind the council's decision to consider this uh, funding. So at the council's direction, we launched a community conversation in August to understand uh, any community interests, issues, and ideas related to this approach to accelerate the funding. And we're pleased, uh, our outreach message, as is our uh, model, we used our news releases and social media. We sent out um, notices in our listserv this week in Kirkland. We actually did some reasonably significant outreach through Peach Jar because we wanted to make sure we touched base with the school community. A lot of the programs that we're going to fund involve safer routes to those schools. And we reached out to the Greater Kirkland Chamber of Commerce who have been really great partners in helping us to get the word out on several of our initiatives. So the feedback methods, we had a community forum. Uh, we had 29 folks attend that forum. I think we did put the link, the video link to the forum in the memo. Um, it is. It was very insightful. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. We had, I believe, two small group meetings, um, well attended, five each. We like that number. It gets a good conversation going. It allows for us to get into more of the details of what people are thinking. Um, we went into the community for small group meetings. Here, I think we met with Kiwanis and Rotary. Uh, Rotary had two separate groups. Uh, all of those meetings were well attended and we're very grateful for the groups to host us. Um, we jumped into their normal agenda and we really appreciated it. We had a, um, a good time uh, connecting with folks about these issues. Uh, we had feedback through, and I think the total number there was about 56 folks. So it was good uh, use of city time. Our Kirkland, we had nine responses and um, Social media was where most of the feedback came um, in terms of numbers. And I think social media, as we'll talk about now, was 
the more negative of all the other mediums or platforms that we engaged in. The community forum, we think, was well attended. Um, seven people spoke in favor of the TBD approach um, for accelerating the safety investments. Four people spoke against and two seemed neutral, although, like I say, the video is posted so folks can and the council can review that video um, as desired. The small groups meeting uh, meetings, as I said, featured engaging discussions about digging down into the detail with some specific examples about what is meant by the terms and conditions. And we really like the small group meetings because we get the opportunity to do that, to go into the details and, and connect with folks and they can give us real insight about what they like and what they find the challenges to be. Social media posts uh, did yield many comments from the community. The higher volume of the community members who were critical of the TBD came from the social media um, platform. Uh, some of the key themes from the TBD, the, the community conversation, the critical themes really centered around finding other funding sources in the general budget, general fund to pay for the uh, projects and to fund the debt service. That was kind of a, um, a reoccurring general theme. Um, there was also a lot of discussion in the small group meetings about what happens next? Um, will the fee be sunsetted after the priority projects are done? What is, and these are obviously difficult questions to answer, but what are future, what is the expectation of future councils with respect to the fee? Will it be in, increased? Will it be sunsetted? Will the council do a community engagement process before they take action? Those are kind of the more detailed discussions we had in the small group meetings. Um, on the supportive side, people really talked about the need for additional maintenance and sidewalks. They talked about the greater need for bike lanes and protected bike lanes. There's a lot of energy for, for that kind of infrastructure and investment. And prioritizing projects in high density regions with larger index of safety. So there's a lot of safety around these multimodal transportation opportunities. And it was a very interesting community conversation to have um, we really do appreciate people's engagement in that. So that's kind of a, a good overall, overall um, uh, overview of what we um, experience. Like I say, it's the town hall is posted. Folks want to see that for themselves. It's very edifying to watch. So that brings me to the third of our kind of focus areas in our outreach, which is the revenue generating regulatory license. As you know, the RGRL, as we affectionately call it, is a per employee tax on businesses with gross business income above a threshold set by the council. The council did adopt the RGRL at the October 18th meeting and increased the fees from 105 to $130. Now this increase to the threshold uh, under which no business license fee is due from 12,000 of revenue per year to 20,000 per year so the increased threshold helped those businesses who are making less money gross. The RGRL fee was last introduced and in, increased in 2017. <laughs> so the increase in the per FTE rate is below inflation, while the new exemption threshold is higher than if the city had adjusted for inflation. So that increase in the threshold from 12,000 to 20,000 um, was helpful on the lower end of the revenue. Um, spectrum. The, uh, the revenue generated from this in initiative uh, will be invested primarily in street maintenance. So again, common themes around 
public works and parks and maintenance uh, throughout this process. Now, all of this stuff was sent out before the council made the decision in, in October 18th. So this is just kind of like summing up uh, our opportunity to, to sum up uh, what we've done for the different initiatives. We sent out notice in our biz news newsletter, which is one of the biggest newsletters we have, obviously focused on businesses. This Week in Kirkland is really our centerpiece uh, listserv newsletter. We sent it out there and then social media. We asked the Greater Kirkland Chamber of Commerce to distribute and we're grateful that they did. And we also sent uh, uh, notice to business licensees via email. We have that listserv and we took advantage of that. Uh, the feedback came through social media and mostly uh, from our Kirkland. But the insight here is there just wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't a high volume of RGRL specific items for feedback. Uh, the feedback that did come in was uh, appended to other items like property tax and general concerns about inflation and um, with respect to the RGL. Uh, concerns about whether or not it would deter potential businesses from opening in Kirkland. But one of the insights here was the, the um, general volume of responses was relatively light. So that is a quick overview of um, budget outreach for the general fund, some of the specific out outreach we did around the initiatives associated with the budget. And we would say for next steps, um, just to continue to encourage our community to stay engaged with the city. I know that we've get, we're getting data in as we speak, uh, and we will continue to update the city uh, council as you move through the budget process through December. And um, we'll update the council on any additional input that you, you direct us to and that we will receive. So thank you for the opportunity to do all this work. and. At that, I turn it back to the city manager. Okay, any questions from council? Councilmember Black? Uh, just one quick question uh, for the deputy city manager. Since we may have some uh, community members who just um, forward to this special presentation. So for their purposes, can you uh, also in the next steps highlight the next public, the data, the next public hearing on the budget? We will. Oh, can we you do that? Will. Can you do that now on the record? <laughs> Yeah, November 15th, um, I, November, November 15th, I think I'll be competing for time on November 15th with Health Through Housing in the next um, public hearing on the budget. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Uh, thank you. Okay, I think we'll get through the consent agenda and we'll take a break. So before um, I ask for a motion, I'd like to ask the Deputy Mayor to give us an audit of the accounts. Thank you, Madam Mayor. We had payroll in the amount of $4,544,054.78 and bills in the amount of $4,004,567.45. Thank you. Is there a motion to approve the consent calendar? So moved. Second. Moved by Councilmember Curtis, seconded by Councilmember Black. Any discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries unanimously. We will now take a 15 minute break and be back at 921-2, Recording stopped.
Your life, Mayor. Recording in progress. Thank you. We are back from a brief break, and we are at the beginning of our business agenda. The first item is a regional crisis response agency interlocal agreement. City Manager. Hey, thank you, Madam Mayor. We're very excited to present to you uh, for your consideration the regional crisis response interlocal agreement. Um, here to make the presentation is Carly Jorger, our management analyst, and also we have Beth Goldberg, our Deputy City Manager of Operations, here to answer any technical questions that you may have. The dream team. Thank you. Carly, take it away. All right. Thank you, City Manager. Um, good evening, Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and members of the Council. I'm happy to present a brief presentation for you all on Resolution 5562 and the staff's recommendation that the Council uh, adopt this resolution. Uh, if adopted, uh, the Council would authorize the City Manager to sign on to this agreement with our partner cities of Shoreline, Kenmore, Lake Forest Park, and Bothell and create a new regional crisis response agency. Um, this is part of the Council's broader efforts to create a continuum of behavioral health services in our region. Um, and so th that continuum has, has three elements, someone to call, someone to respond, and some place to go for our community members who are experiencing behavioral health crisis. So the focus of this uh, topic tonight and this presentation is on this center element on your screen, which is ensuring that there is someone to respond. So before I go through a few of my uh, slides showing the changes to the interlocal agreement since the last time you saw this, I'll quick review um, some key dates. Uh, so the last time um, the City Council saw this topic was on September 20th. Um, the Council gave uh, very thoughtful feedback on changes you'd like to see um, in, in the agreement. Uh, we brought that back to the negotiating team of uh, staff from the other four cities um, and got to work incorporating the feedback from this city council as well as the other four city councils into, um, into the agreement. And that brings us to this evening, um, asking the council to consider uh, entering into this agreement. Um, and just for uh, some context, uh, Kirkland's actually up second to consider this. So City of Shoreline already adopted the agreement uh, at their October 24th meeting. Uh, Lake Forest Park had another briefing on the elements of the agreement on October 27th and will consider adopting at their November 10th meeting. Uh, Bothell has this on their agenda for November 15th and then Kenmore is last uh, November 28th. So assuming all five of the cities adopt this agreement, um, it would be effective January 1st with about a one quarter ramp up period to create the new agency, transfer employees from the city of Bothell and assist the board in hiring uh, uh, the new employees. Uh, in the meantime, uh, our existing community responders and staff from city of Bothell would continue to respond to calls for service as they are now. With that, I can direct your attention to um, just two slides of the summary of changes. So the first five uh, changes I will go over are new language and new sections. So the first, uh, we have a new name. Uh, so all five city councils uh, had similar feedback that the original name we proposed was a little tricky to say. So we put our heads together and came up with uh, the Regional Crisis Response Agency um, pronounced RACER. 
And so the documents uh, attached to your packet um, are drafted with this new proposed name. Uh, second, we have a new section that addresses the merger, consolidation, or sale of assets in the event that this agency is absorbed by another uh, agency or program. We also have a new exhibit, um, Exhibit A, that has the agency's initial org chart. That means Exhibit B is now the initial agency budget. Um, and then fourth, we have a new task for the executive board in their first biennium, uh, which is to take a look at the definition of weighted vote and propose an amendment to the legislative bodies of all member agencies to consider adjusting this definition. Um, and the thought here is that after the first uh, year or so of operations, the agency would be able to make a data-driven recommendation for how the funding for this agency might be shared among all of its members. So an example of that could be a blend of caseload and per capita rather than just solely per capita. And then the last item is the section on admitting new members. So we have about four additions to this section. Um, the first is that a new principal must, in addition to accepting the terms of the agreement, also um, adopt any of the, agent, the agency's adopted policies and procedures. Um, the second, we have clarification that adding a new member should not cause any existing members to have a diminished level of service. Third, that no new members shall be admitted in the first year of the agency's operations. And then finally, that members are not just cities, but could also be a county that has a contiguous border with the rest of the member agencies. And the thought here is that this um, inclusion would, would not um, preclude either county that has, um, uh, or the unincorporated portions of the counties that are near our agencies from joining in the future. And this next section, and then I'll, I'll um, wrap up and turn it over to you, Mayor, is about uh, existing sections that we clarified or revised. Um, so item number six here, we have more clear language in the whereas statements and the goals section. So the goals are now written to be more action-oriented, and the whereas statement uh, better um, describes the, in the population that this agency is intended to serve. Um, and that's, that is where we struck the language referencing uh, folks with developmental disabilities. Um, on uh, item number seven, the public records section clarifies that the executive director uh, and the fiscal agent, which is the city of Kirkland, are responsible for fielding and responding to any public records requests. Um, number eight, the term is reduced from uh, six years to four years. That's the initial term of the agreement. And we made this revision uh, based on feedback from the uh, city of Kenmore that securing ongoing funding um, uh, for six years would be a challenge to some of their city council members. So we reduced this down to four. And then uh, I saved the best for last, which is the governance section. Um, the overall... Uh, governance structure it remains intact, but there are just a few revisions within each element and how each element will function. So first is the principal's assembly. Um, and happy to share that all the your peers 
at other city councils shared your enthusiasm for wanting to have a bit more involvement in the first um, years of operation of this agency. So now the principal's assembly will meet no less than three times per year in the first biennium and then move into once per year after that. Uh, additionally, um, a principal's assembly can be convened at the request of two legislative bodies of any of the member agencies. Um, next, we have the executive board. Um, so here we clarified that membership on the executive board is limited to each member agency's chief administrative officer um, or their alternate, and their alternate must be someone who is responsible for the central administration of the agency, someone like a deputy city manager, assistant city manager. Uh, the executive board shall allow public comment at its meetings. Uh, the board may adopt performance metrics for the agency, and then additionally to ensure that the board hears from a variety of perspectives from its two advisory groups, that there shall be a standing item on the executive board's agenda to hear uh, reports uh, from those two advisory groups or on behalf of those advisory groups from someone like the executive director. And then finally on the executive board, um, individual members of the advisory groups are encouraged, like members of the public, to provide public comment. Uh, all right, next we have the advisory groups. Um, and both of these groups, the operations board and the community advisory group, are non-voting bodies. They're advisory to the executive board and to the executive director. Um, and we made a clarification that membership on um, the operations board should be balanced. So the number of police chiefs or their designees should not outweigh the number of other stakeholders that are on the operations board. All right, last item here is the executive director. Um, and this position's duties were clarified in uh, the agreement to uh, ensure that communication among all of these elements of the governance structure is flowing effectively. So an example of that would be preparing and submitting meeting minutes from the two advisory groups to the executive board. Uh, in addition, the, this position would also be responsible for preparing and submitting an annual report to the executive board and to the principal's assembly. All right, that brings me to um, the end of this presentation and your city manager, deputy city manager for operations and I are here to answer any questions. Thank you, Carly. Councilmember, before we, before we begin discussion, do we <coughs> want to get a motion on the floor? Can we do that? Thank you, Madam Mayor. I move that we adopt resolution R5562, authorizing the execution and delivery of the regional crisis response agency interlocal agreement approving the incorporation of the agency as a nonprofit corporation under chapter 24.06 RCW and approving other matters related thereto. Second. Moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Curtis. Councilmember Falcone, discussion. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, well, this is a really exciting moment tonight to be voting on this regional crisis response um, agency interlocal agreement. So thank you for all of your hard work. Um, you know, to, to Carly, to Beth, and our neighboring cities of Bothell, Kenmore, Lake Forest Park, and Shoreline, and all the other staff and folks that have been working on this to lead us up to this point tonight. Um, I know this is just the beginning, but it's also building upon years of hard work and vision of so many folks, and I'm really, really excited for this next chapter. 
Um, I'm happy to see the changes that you highlighted tonight, Carly, so thank you for that, such as the more actionable goals. Really appreciate that. Thank you for working to negotiate the changes that we requested when we discussed this last. Um, I do tonight have one minor proposed edit and one other comment. Um, so first, um, my minor proposed edit is on page five of the ILA, ePage 147, section four, agency goals part B currently reads, significantly reduce solo police response to behavioral health calls by providing alternatives in appropriate instances, dot, dot, dot. Um, you may remember that I proposed some edits to this goal when we last discussed this in September. Um, and I think this is like 99% of the way there. So I'd like to move that we strike the word solo from this sentence, as it would then read, significantly reduce police response to behavioral health calls, which I believe more closely reflects our vision and goal of this program. I'm looking for a second on striking the word solo. You're submitting that as an amendment? Yes. Okay. I'll second. Okay. Or, or Madam Mayor, do you need that stated as a motion to amend? A more I, formal I move to amend. She did that. Um. <laughs> okay. In which case, I second. <laughs> um, so it's been moved by Councilmember Falcone, second by Councilmember Black to uh, amend the motion as described. Discussion? Deputy Mayor Arnold. While I agree with the vision of where we're going with this, uh, we do have uh, several other jurisdictions that are in the approval process here. I really appreciate the work that Carly and the team have done to negotiate these. I think our, our, um, the specific items and it's good to hear that our colleagues brought up some of the same items. You don't know where we are uh, in relation to some of our colleagues on our level of engagement, enthusiasm, and, and our vision for this. But it sounds like we're very, very close. Um, although doing this kind of standing up of a new agency is, is complicated, and I don't want to get in the way of getting through this approval process. I share the goal of what we're trying to do. I don't think that this particular change is necessary to meet the goal. And so, while I support the sentiment, I will be voting against this motion. Any other discussion? Councilmember Curtis. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor. The truth is, you know, there's 35 people that have put their fingerprints on this document. And in my perfect world, there's many things that I would change, word, tweak, so forth. And I have to let go that it's not perfect in my point of view and I also strongly agree with your suggested edit because we when we first talked about this it was like we want to make sure that our values are represented in this document and our goal is to reduce police response to behavioral health uh, crisis situations and I believe we will get there and I think that we need to keep pushing that goal but I also feel that we now is not the time to wordsmith this because we are so close to this point and I don't want this to stop us. So, thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Black? Oh, I think Councilmember Falcon had her hand raised. Oh, I'm sorry. First. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you, Councilmember Black. Um, well, thank you for that. I agree with your sentiment, which is why I shared this idea with staff earlier today. Um, so I wonder, City Manager, if you could share kind of what you shared with me about what 
we well, what staff's response was to this proposed. Yeah, I'll, I'll have Beth uh, speak to the potential impact of the amendment. And first, I just want to say thank you to the council members who do care about this, uh, and as, as does Councilmember Falcone, because editing it is tricky, but I think this is one that might be um, accepted by the rest of the group. And I'll, I'll turn it over to Beth. So I, I think there are a couple, good evening council members, by the way. Um, there are, there are um, a couple of dynamics to be aware of with this is um, that the section that is suggested to be amended by striking the word solo is not, um, it's likely not a substantive change. Um, normally, if you're amending an agreement like this, particularly if it is in a substantive way, we would have to go back to the negotiating table and negotiate the new terms, which you know would would set us back. In this case, um, we we did have a conversation with Shoreline about um, some actually some additional tweaks that we made. Um, prior to being included in your packet, because they had already adopted to see, you know, if we made some word tweaks, would it upset their process and upset their council? Um, and um, the feedback we got from staff at Shoreline was something that was not substantive um, would would not likely upset their council. Um, so I think we're good with Shoreline, and they had actually included not to get way into the sausage making process, but it, it may matter to this. They had actually included a previous version because of the timing of finalizing the redlined version. They actually included an earlier version of this in their packet, so they're going to have to go back to their council anyway to make sure they acknowledge the, the 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 red line version that is in in your packet so I think we're okay there the other cities since they're going after us um, and again we engage them in in this earlier discussion um, I think if it's not substantive um, I think we we've got time to get it into their packets so that they could um, approve this as well um, but again if if we start getting into a whole bunch of wordsmithing or um, a whole bunch of um, substantive things, then then it could it could um, set us back from our goal of of getting this um, ILA approved and adopted. Um, I think I go to Councilmember Black. Councilmember Falcone, you were all you were finished. Okay. So my only question was going to be the one that uh, Councilmember Falcone asked, uh, which is, um, is this in any way going to, um, or is it, you know, do we predict that this is going to materially upset the, the approval process of the five cities? And it sounds like the answer is no, um, or we believe the answer is no. And, um, you know, therefore, you know, this is a, this places, the, you know, this, this small change in the, in the aspirational goals of the agency uh, place less constraints on the agency, um, fewer constraints on the cities themselves, and I think more accurately reflects the aspirational goals of the program. So that's why I moved, or that's why I seconded it, and that's why I'm going to support it. Thank you, Councilmember so, Mixon. Can I chime in though with one other word of caution? Mm -hmm. um, so we're we're up second, um, and if other councils start also wordsmithing, then we 
we get into this this loop of um, updating. So that that's just I, I don't know that <clears throat> the other councils are going to go there, but um, there there could be some precedent setting here that maybe we need to you know think about as well. With regard to the reservations that we've heard from the other cities, aren't they? Um, aren't they more about the entire program, not not necessarily with regard to something as specific as <clears throat> one changes? I I think it is safe to say, but I'm going to to look at it. It uh, my colleagues here to weigh in as well. I think. It is safe to say that the other councils, when they reviewed the first version of this, the initial draft, did not provide the level of feedback um, and um, suggestions that really? uh, the Kirkland City Council did. Um, uh, <laughs> and I say that with admiration and, and respect that um, we were overachievers in our feedback. So they, it, it may be that they won't provide um, additional feedback. You know, Shoreline, I, the feedback I've gotten from Shoreline staff is they just want to get it done. Yeah. Like, just get this done. Um, I think the, the final comment I make on this <clears throat> sentence is Carly tracked down where did Solo come from. And this sentence was actually suggested by Kirkland and, and the consultant, Karen Reed, kind of added the word Solo to sharpen what she was thinking. And so we also think that because it came from us, it's probably not going to ruffle any feathers if we say not quite what we meant. So, so we find this is a, a relatively unique opportunity. Great. Okay. Thank you, uh, Councilmember Nixon. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. If if I may read Section Two of the resolution, <clears throat> the city hereby approves the interlocal agreement in substantially the form attached here to as Exhibit A and incorporated herein by this reference. The city manager is hereby authorized and directed to execute on behalf of the city such interlocal agreement with such changes as determined to be appropriate by such representative and in the best interest of the city. My guess is that most of the other city managers or uh, mayors who are similarly situated have the same authorization from their councils to make minor tweaks. <clears throat> and so I might suggest that rather than amend the agreement, we direct the city manager to seek to get this change made. And if he's able to get it made, then that's fine. But if he can't get agreement, then it just goes forward without the change. I don't know how you would feel about that. Maybe you want to try the vote on the motion first and see what happens, and then we could try plan B. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> okay. I've got Council Member Curtis, then Council Member, or De De Council Member Pascal, then Deputy <coughs> Arnold. That will pass, Madam Mayor. Thank you. Deputy, or Council Member, Deputy Mayor Arnold. <laughs> no, I was preparing to second Toby's suggestion if it came out as a motion, but we'll deal with this in a, in a different order. Councilmember Pascal. I was just going to say what Beth had mentioned was kind of my sentiment when I originally heard this was I just don't want to set a precedent 
for other agencies. Hey, Kirkland made a change. I'll make a change. And then we just go in the circular thing. I think I'll be voting against this amendment. Okay. The question is on the motion to amend uh, the interlocal agreement by eliminating the word solo in the uh, aforementioned paragraph. All those in favor, please indicate by saying aye. 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 Opposed? No. No. Is that one, two, three? Four to three. Um, the motion carries. Question is on the, mo the original motion adopting the interlocal agreement. Um, our or resolution 5562. All those in favor? Oops. Oh, let's do that then. Okay. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Okay, so my other comment is not a motion. Um, <laughs> so you can all take a deep breath. Um, <laughs> it's in regarding in regards to the composition of the operations board. Um, this is on page 11 of the ILA on our e page 153 of the packet. You may recall that at our last meeting, we proposed changing the police chief language to match the others, something along the lines of not less than one or two or three police chiefs or their designee. Um, and that feedback wasn't quite included, is my understanding, based on just the negotiations and the revised draft ILA that we're considering tonight. So we, I still have the initial concern that I had when I raised that at our last meeting about the balance of the operations board. Um, and the current language also raises another concern. And that is um, that as it currently reads, each time a new principal jurisdiction is added, that means that we must add at least two more operations board seats, one for their police chief and one additional one to ensure that part five is satisfied, that the number of police chiefs or their designees serving on the operations board shall not exceed the number of other representatives on the operations board. Um, so the composition of the operations board is really important. They're gonna be making recommendations to the executive board on things such as community responder training. Um, my understanding, uh, as I mentioned, is that this would like to require additional negotiations. However, and I do not wanna throw a wrench in things at the 11th hour. So I'm proposing instead that we, um, I just wanna raise it tonight in hopes that we will raise this at the principal's assembly meetings next year for discussion um, in the hopes that the principal's assembly will make a recommendation to the executive board on this. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Black. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, two things real quick. One is I, yeah, I, I appreciate Councilmember Falcon raising this. I think we have a bug in our, in our um, advisory board, honestly. Um, because of this no more, because of this limitation, every time we add, yeah, we're gonna have problems as we add new jurisdictions. Without, unless as we add new jurisdictions, we also fix this bug. Um, so there's that. But um, I also had one question for staff, and I wish I had got my question in before the motion was on the table, because staff questions should probably come before discussion of the motion. But I did have a question about, um, adding coterminous counties. And I realize this, that new principles require super majority vote. So there's, got, there's a lot of checks and balances before a county were to join this agency. But it's a little bit of an interesting question. Um, if King County were to join this, uh, let's say it would just remain the five cities and King County joined, I'm tr I wanna imagine what that would actually look like. What, what do we imagine that would look like? Uh, 
King County responses only in unincorporated parts of King County, or any time a King County agent, any time a King County uh, agency department division is responding to something anywhere within the county? Because um, I could see how that could become unwieldy for this poor, not poor, for this small startup agency. The intent, the intent would just be unincorporated King County local service, and that's where the other provisions come in. Like, you can't materially impact the level of service to the existing folks, right? So the county couldn't say, we're sending people down to Renton because Renton's in King County. Mm -hmm. And it would take the vote of the, of the principals to add them. So, but, but there's enough by Bothell and enough by Kirkland and Redmond, if others join, that, and the King County Sheriff Department provides a lot of the services to these cities, that it makes sense to at least allow the possibility that the county could join. And we feel comfortable that there's enough, um, the, the agency's going to have enough control over, over that, uh, the addition of a, of a county principal to have some say in how that's actually going to uh, affect operations. Yeah, we believe so. I, okay. And I think because, again, you have to adopt the, the rules and the policies and so forth. So they, if they came in, they would be coming in with our model, not to change the model. Okay. So I'll be supporting the motion. Thank you. Councilmember Curtis. Was, <clears throat> was that a motion, Madam Mayor? I think it was. No, a, we're going, we're talking oh, about the back original to the motion. Other motion. Okay, got confused there. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> um, I just want to support Councilmember Falcone's comment because I had the same notes. Um, I think there's some work to be done on this operations board, and it's really, really important to me that mental health professionals are, have an equal voice on this board. And as we add other cities, which I anticipate we will do, we don't want this board to become so unwieldy that we have 14 people sitting at a table. So, um, so I think that you, she mentioned the principal's assembly. I think the executive board needs to look at this and figure out how to make it successful, but again, balance those voices. Thank you. Did you have a comment, Ruth? Yeah, I, I, as I'm hearing you all discuss this, it occurs to me that, you know, if, if there is going to be a, a new city or new entity joining, it's going to require the approval of the existing parties to the interlocal, the five cities. And um, at that point also would be a juncture to say, okay, we're going to be adding three more cities in one year. All of a sudden, the advisory board is is too unwieldy. As, as part of that approval process, that might be also another juncture where that could be that could be adjusted. Okay, the question is on the motion moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Curtis to pass resolution 5562 adopting the interlocal agreement forming the regional crisis response agency that merges the radar navigator program and Kirkland's community responder program. All those in favor please indicate by saying aye. 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 Opposed? The motion carries unanimously. Congratulations. <laughs> well done, Dream Team. <laughs> okay. Carly, we're just going to toss you out now. <laughs> we'll see you back in a little bit. Uh, that takes us to the Business License Code Amendments, Ordinance 4821 relating to amending Chapter 7.02 of the Kirkland Municipal Code regarding business licenses and regulations. Uh, City Manager. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. So this is uh, amended based on council direction, and we'll be looking for a final action tonight here to walk you through those changes. 
as our Director of Finance Administration, Michael Olson. Welcome back, Michael. Thank you, City Manager. <clears throat> Good evening, Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and Council Members. At the last Council meeting on October 18th, we discussed amendments to the Business License Code, which provided clarity, reduced redundancy, and provided some relief for long-term rentals of single-family residences. And Council asked us to uh, remove some more redundancy and add some inclusiv inclusivity on the definition of single-family residences. So this ordinance um, does that. It includes all the proposed changes from the last council meeting and adds a definition of single-family residence uh, for tonight. Um, eliminates the redundancy. Um, the addition definition of single-family residence only for the purpose of this chapter means a dwelling unit considered to be single-family, including cottages and carriage units, accessory dwelling units, both attached and detached, and two- and three-unit homes as those defined in the Kirkland Zoning Code. So this is meant to be all-inclusive for single-family residents and provide more greater relief for long-term rentals, requiring uh, the owners only to have one business license if they have multiple single-family residence rentals. That is the, the summary of the changes. The next step is questions or to approve the ordinance. Can I get a motion? To approve Ordinance 4821. So moved. So moved by Councilmember Black. Second. Seconded by Councilmember Curtis. Discussion? Seeing none, clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pasco? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes. Thank you. Motion carries unanimously. Takes us to item C and back to the Carly Show. 23, 2023 state legislative priorities. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. So once again, we're looking for final action. Uh, this has been updated based on council feedback at the last council meeting, but we're here to ask answer any questions or if there's additional amendments before adoption. So once again, here's Carly Jorker, our management analyst. Hello. <laughs> All right. Um, so before I get into just a few slides, uh, just three slides actually covering the, the changes made since the last item, um, I can't do a presentation without a little timeline. So uh, last time you saw this was October 18th. Uh, again, council provided really thoughtful feedback that your legislative work group then incorporated into this version. Um, here we are tonight, November 1st, um, asking the council to adopt uh, your legislative priorities. Um, and one other uh, piece of exciting news is our new lobbying team has started. Um, so we, we are welcoming Brian McConaughey and Brian Enslow to our team. Um, and we're going to have them join uh, your November 15th council meeting just to introduce themselves uh, to you. So um, very excited to have them. Um, and they're, they're starting just on time because starting mid-November, we have our uh, first legislative coffees with members of our delegation. And that is where uh, your legislative work group will share the, um, the city's legislative priorities. Um, so those will last into December. Um, and then at your first regular meeting at, at the start of the year on January 3rd, staff will bring forward the support uh, coalition uh, agenda for uh, council to consider adopting. Um, and that agenda lists the items that Kirkland wants to support but are championed by our allied organizations. 
And then shortly after that, January 10th, uh, session begins. Um, so th like I said, three slides just to cover um, what, is, uh, what has changed in this version. Um, so the first change is related to the behavioral health priorities. So um, the city manager's recommendation is uh, actually to strike that first bullet related to um, seeking immunity for, from medical malpractice claims for our mental health professionals. Um, and the reason for this is, is actually really good news. Um, at, at last month's uh, Washington City's Insurance Authority pool meeting, um, their board uh, voted to include language in their current policy documents that provide insurance coverage to mental health professionals acting in a co-response or community response role. Um, so now that we have uh, that coverage through um, the WCIA pool, um, this immediate challenge for City of Kirkland to provide insurance for our staff is resolved. So the recommendation here is to actually strike this from the priorities, but include it in the support agenda as there may be some um, uh, uh, other organizations that are working to achieve this on a statewide uh, level. Second change um, is new language that better uh, captures the policy position of the Kirkland City Council related to your resolution 5530. So this new language on your screen here um, combines language from sections one, two, and three from your resolution. Um, so if adopted, it would read that Kirkland supports Washington State legislative actions that protect an individual's right to comprehensive, safe, and accessible reproductive health care, including abortion. Legislative actions that are supported include, but are not limited to, proposed amendments to the Washington State and United States constitutions, codifying the protection of these reproductive health care rights in state law, protecting visitors to Washington State seeking abortion health care, and protections for Washington State health care providers that provide reproductive and abortion health care. Kirkland further supports legislative actions codifying marriage equality. And then the last uh, change is a new addition to the list of capital budget funding requests, which is that second uh, bullet point, point there, um, that Kirkland supports capital budget funding for permanent supportive housing projects in Kirkland. Um, and this was suggested uh, after a, a recent tour at the uh, Health through housing site, the former La Quinta Inn, um, that there may be some funding to support uh, uh, any capital work at that site. Um, so, in that vein, the last thing I'll say on this capital budget list is that as we have our legislative coffees, there may be other projects that are suggested, um, and then uh, we would then bring this back to the city council. Uh, so, with that, Madam Mayor, I'll turn it back over to you if any members of the work group have any other things to add. Okay. Councilmember Curtis. Madam Mayor, I'd make to, like to make a motion to approve resolution 5563, approving a city of Kirkland legislative agenda to be addressed in the 2023 session of the state legislature. Second. We move by Councilmember Curtis, seconded by Councilmember Black to adopt resolution 5563. A discussion. Um, well, I'm really proud of this legislative agenda. I think we've done a good job of capturing uh, most of council's interested topics. I do want to address um, the new language on the reproductive health care. This was a synthesis of Resolution 5550. 
Um, it allows room with the language but not limited to to allow council to choose whether to support new bills such as the one proposed by Rep Slatter and Senator Dingra that will protect the privacy around menstrual tracking data. As I said last uh, council meeting, we expect a lot of bills to come in regarding reproductive health care and we'll be able to determine as a council which ones we will support or oppose. Um, and while I have the floor, I would like to make an amendment to the resolution. Um, I sent this amendment around to council. This is uh, editing under Kirkland's, Kirkland Supports, third bullet on E page 236 to read as follows. Um, sustainability actions to protect the natural environment and meet the needs of community members for a healthy environment and clean energy without compromising the needs for future generations. The reason I'm suggesting to add the word sustainability is just to add clarity that we're supporting our sustainability master plan with this um, additional word. Second. Moved by Councilmember Curtis, seconded by Councilmember Falcone to amend the, mo the resolution, the motion, um, as described, adding the word sustainability. Any further discussion? Question is on the uh, on the amendment to the motion. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries unanimously. Any further discussion of Councilmember Pascal? Yeah, I have an I have an amendment that I'd like to read uh, to Resolution fifty five sixty three attachment two exhibit A uh, related to the capital projects. Right now, it says Kirkland supports capital budget funding for second bullet on E page two thirty eight. Um, for permanent supportive housing projects in Kirkland. I'd like to strike that and replace it with the current health through housing permanent supportive housing project in the 48th district. So this amendment makes it clear that Kirkland's seeking capital funding for the existing partnership proposal with King County as no other permanent protective housing projects are being considered at this time. Let's keep our focus on that existing project making clear that we're seeking funding for it and demonstrate that it will be a success. Second. Thank you. Moved by Councilmember Pascal, seconded by Councilmember Curtis to amend uh, the, what are we amending? Right. Capital projects. Third bullet in the capital projects, changing the permanent supportive housing projects in Kirkland to the current health through housing permanent supportive housing project in the 48th district. Okay. Any further discussion? Uh, Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I'm wondering if members of the legislative work group and or city staff can help clarify what funding is available and because when I first saw this, I was assuming that, I mean, we know that we need a lot more permanent supportive housing in King County. And we also know, I mean, looking at my packet for the Affordable Housing Committee meeting this week, we're going to be talking about um, the city's allocation, the allocation models for permanent supportive housing in each of the jurisdictions in King County. So we know that we're going to have to incorporate into our comprehensive plans updates, um, permanent supportive housing, and how we're going to um, accommodate that, plan for and accommodate that. So I was assuming that it was 
broader than this amendment um, specifies, that it really was perhaps funding for additional permanent supportive housing in Kirkland. Can you speak a little bit to that? Thank you, Councilmember Falcone. This is in direct response to a conversation that um, Councilmember Black and I had with Senator Cooter and her, uh, her suggestion that there might be operational funding specifically for uh, the permanent supporting housing at La Quinta. So the, what the funding that you're asking for is a broader conversation. This is just in response to what she suggested. Thank you. And was that an ask from the county that they are asking for more operational funding for? No, it was from Cooter. She just offered that there may be operational funds in the budget and that we should check in. Okay. And, have a firm and we think the need is there. And we'll talk to her when we have our legislative coffee. Just yeah. following along on Councilmember Falcone's question, though, does this limit it? I mean, is there any reason why? I don't think we can really answer that until we have a conversation with her. It was specifically about operating funds. And since we only have one site right now that has a facility, then that would be the funds that we would be asking for. Okay. Is there anything you want to add? No, I was just going to add that if one of the things we legislative group did ask us to do is we need to follow up with uh, Senator Cooter and her staff to learn more. And I would just also add to the presentation we have still been without our government relations manager. We have four interviews tomorrow that uh, Beth and Jim and I are doing, and we hope to have a decision by Friday. And so that will help us with some of these endeavors. But when we know more about what's possible and what Senator Cooter looked at, we'll bring that back to the council. I think maintaining the focus right now is a good place to start, but on the support agenda or if a broader issue comes up, I think we can certainly bring back to the council and add it. Great. Any further discussion? Okay, the question is on the amendment, moved by Councilmember Pascal, seconded by Councilmember Curtis, uh, to change the language to more specificity around permanent housing project at La Quinta in the 48th district. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries unanimously. Question is on the original motion, motion to pass or pass resolution 5563, uh, approving the City of Kirkland legislative agenda. All those in favor, please indicate by saying aye. 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 Opposed? No. Motion carries six to one. Thank you. That takes us to item. D, the draft 2023 surface water master plan and level of service. City Manager. My microphone's off, I apologize. <laughs> Thank you. So we are doing a second check-in on the surface water uh, master plan. I need to now flip to my page to make sure who I am introducing. I believe that uh, Kelly Jones, our supervisor, will be covering this issue. We're looking for feed, final feedback on the council, and the goal is to bring this back for final adoption later in the end of the year. I also have uh, Public Works Director Julie Underwood on the call as well. Is Kelly for me to see on this.
Are you going to join us, Julie? Um, I have to say, I know Kelly was really pleased that you had put this agenda item later in the agenda because she would have time to put her kiddos to bed. Um, she, there she is. Yay. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's okay. All right. All right, Kelly, our service water engineering program supervisor is here to present this agenda item. All right, and let me share my and good evening, Mayor, Deputy Mayor, and members of the Council. I have six slides tonight to talk about the Draft Surface Water Master Plan, and tonight we're seeking Council input on any changes to the priority rankings for programmatic actions, and if Council would like to um, recommend a future level of service. So since the September 6th study session meeting, uh, staff closed the draft surface water master plan for public comment in mid-October. We had 782 views on the website and online hub, 63 downloads of the plan document, and received four comments. So with the number of views received on the site, it appears that people were exploring and interacting with the data, but did not provide many comments. The comments we did receive were minor suggestions, but provided overall support for the plan update and program. Staff also received a few comments through our email, through our stormwater uh, email, and about specific concerns and are responding to those comments directly with the community members. So the 2023 to 2024 rates were adopted at the October 18th meeting, and this rate adoption will help fund a new surface water program manager, a second stormwater lead, and the maintenance crew a utility craftsperson funded from all the utilities, such as water, sewer, and storm, funding for storm system monitoring equipment, funding for storm infrastructure improvements with development, and a piece of equipment to improve asphalt patching. These minimum levels of service will, uh, within the master plan will be revised to match the service packages approved as part of the rate adoption. And in addition, the minimum level of service will also include projects and plans absorbed by staff. So these include uh, creating an aging pipe plan, evaluating aging stormwater facilities, evaluating urban forestry and stormwater, identifying win-win opportunities for parks and stormwater, developing a strategy for managing new information surrounding 6PPD quinone, identifying any gaps with the new NPDES permit, which is slated to hit in um, mid-2024, and supporting stormwater design and environmental strategies for the station area plan at 85th Street. And as we complete these projects and plans, the results may impact our future levels of service. 
The surface water utility rate is currently $18.81 per month per residential home. The adopted 2023 to 2024 rate increases are 5% annually. And this bar graph represents the 2022 monthly surface water utility rates with our neighboring cities. So along with the 2022 rates, we're showing, the, we're showing Kirkland's 2023 rates and we'll update the comparison with neighboring jurisdictions when they've completed their budget process. Now the future levels of service pertain to the outer years of the plan, which is from 2025 to 2030. And the moderate level of service includes the minimum level of service that we talked uh, that was discussed a few slides ago, as well as the medium priority programmatic action and equipment and staffing needs ranked as moderate. And these items were ranked as moderate because they add value to the utility, but they weren't considered requirements. The enhanced level of service includes everything within the moderate level of service, as well as the low priority programmatic actions and equipment and staffing needs ranked as low. So this level of service also adds value, but we're viewed more as enhancements to the utility. And on top of that, each level of service also evaluated an increase to the capital improvement program budget in two increments. Um, an additional $500,000 per year uh, could allow the utility to implement an additional one to two projects where a million dollars per year could result in an additional three to six projects implemented over the 2025 to 2030 six year CIP. So the graphic that you're seeing in this is the same graphic that we included in the memo. And for the moderate and enhanced level of service, a preliminary rate analysis was completed to show how those levels of service impact the cost of the average annual residential rates beginning in 2025. And this was completed for informational purposes to illustrate a potential rate increases in the outer years of the budget cycle. This rate analysis will be updated to reflect the recommended level of service and requested changes to the draft plan. So with the recent council adoption of the utility rates on October 18th, staff will revise the plan to reflect the updated minimum level of service, along with the comments and edits we received um, from the September 6th study session and the public comment period. Staff is also looking for any feedback Council has on the programmatic action ranking and future recommended level of service for the utility, including any increases to the CIP contribution in outer years. Staff will return to Council with these updates at a future meeting for final adoption and approval of the Surface Water Master Plan. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you, Kelly. Council, any questions? Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you, Kelly, for the presentation. As I see this multiple times, I think I'm finally <laughs> getting it with some, with some repetition. One of my questions is about um, some things identified in the plan where there were several uh, pipes that were at extreme risk of failure, uh, three of them that are not currently funded in the CIP, five of them are funded for replacement. When we're looking at this decision about future levels of service and future investments in the CIP, um, what level is necessary to have those 
um, three remaining pipes replaced in this six-year CIP? Is it the moderate level? Is it is it the moderate level plus CIP funding? Can you tell us what our our options are if we wanted to make sure those were taken care of by 2030? By 2030, yes. I think um, right now the uh, critical pipes that are on the unfunded list are approximately $3 million in uh, 2022 dollars. Um, so we could, if we did $500,000 a year um, starting in 2035, that would get us close to completing it by 2030 uh, with an additional $3 million. But with inflation, we might those projects might escalate a little bit over time. Um, if we added the million dollars, we would be able to accomplish those a little bit sooner um, without uh, reprioritizing the CIP currently, which is also another option that we could do if we wanted to try and accomplish those as quickly as possible. It's my interest as we close on this or get to final approval is having a plan to replace those in the next six years, whether it's some combination of reprioritizing or uh, additional money. One other question, given the, I'm sorry. Um, Julie, I think. Yeah, if I could add to that, I'm, I'm so pleased to hear you say that. One of the things that is in the master plan that's called out and um, on our work plan over the next couple of years is very similar to the city adopted general sewer plan or water plan. We really need to create that for the surface water infrastructure. And so I think if we have the time to really take all the fragmented pieces from the CIP, from the recent criticality um, evaluation that Kelly did for the surface water master plan, as well as this huge long list of aged and failing infrastructure and really put it into a plan, a plan that not only includes what would we replace over a 10, 20 year period, but also a funding strategy. Um, that's what I'm hoping we can come back and provide to you. Um, obviously there are some things that we want to replace because there are opportunities um, transportation projects and that sort of thing. But I, I think we're at a place in time where the infrastructure is, is quite dated and, and, and in some cases close to failure that we do want to have a plan to address them. So hopefully that will be something you're interested in seeing. I know that is something we're interested in providing, um, especially the structure for um, replacing the plan over time. Instead, I think probably from the operations standpoint, I think they're feeling very reactionary. And I think if we can really hone in on what's our five-year, 10-year, 15, I think it'll, it'll feel like we're making more progress. Thank you. One other question, mm -hmm. Given that we have these three pipes that are extreme risk of failure, God forbid something happened tomorrow, what's the impact and what's our plan to respond? You wanna get that, Kelly? Yeah, um, I think if, you know, if those did fail, um, we would probably shuffle some of the things that we currently have in our CIP in order to, to do those replacements. We would probably do something um, to patch it in the meantime 
be my guess is we would do what we could with our maintenance crews and then we would get that on that um most likely using our aging and failing budget that we currently have within um our cip in order to to replace those it's currently allocated for a few other projects but we can definitely shift that around um, pretty quickly if, if an emergency happened. And what would be the impact to um, adjacent properties for those particular three pipes? Oh, for those three, I would, I would have to look at those specific three pipes and I could definitely get back to you on what those impacts would be. Great. Great. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I think we'd all be interested in that answer, Kelly. Okay, yeah, definitely. Okay, any other questions or discussion? Julie, Kelly, are you done with us? I, I think, um, Council, if you're agreeable, we would love to be able to bring this back for your final approval and adoption. I think we're ready. Okay. Okay, Great. that is Thank good. you. Thank you, Kelly. Glad you got to put the babies to bed. <laughs> okay, that takes us to item E, the selection of interview selection committee members. Kathy, that would be your job. And this is for um, human services and and transportation commission. So as, just as an introduction, you have two unexpired terms for adults and one unexpired term for a youth member, um, one adult and one youth on human services and one adult on transportation commission. We have seven applications for the adult position on the human services advisory committee. So we need an interview selection committee. Thank so, you. Okay. Would you like me to just pull names? Please. Okay. Councilmember Black. First vice president, Councilmember Black. <laughs> Councilmember Curtis. Oh, if, the, if, if, if it's Councilmember Falcone, I'm going to check something here. <laughs> They're all stuck together. <laughs> Councilmember Nixon. Okay. Okay, subcommittee. There you go. Careful there. All right. Uh, that takes us to item 10, council reports. I'm going to ask us to be brief if we can. We've got, uh, we still have an executive session to move forward with. Is that all? Councilmember Nixon. Nothing tonight, Madam Mayor. Thank you. Councilmember Black. Uh, just six or eight items here. Nothing to report. Council Member Curtis. Thank goodness, because I have a lot. So I apologize, Madam Mayor. Um, first, I want to talk about we had a great PFEC meeting last Thursday. Uh, we received a presentation on the recreation feasibility study from OPSIS Architecture of possible locations and concept plans for large and medium aquatic and recreation centers. Four locations were analyzed, Juanita Beach, Houghton Park and Ride, North Kirkland Community Center and Peter Kirk Park. The um, 
technical presentation suggested that we remove Juanita Beach for environmental reasons. There's a lot of wetlands on that property, um, which would bring the, up the cost. Um, the PFEC committee members ranked their preference of the three remaining sites. We had a really, really good, robust discussion about the sites and the various options. Um, really valuable, thoughtful input from the committee members. Shout out to Sarah and Her Hillary for doing a great job um, organizing these presentations in these meetings. Um, they were recorded and they will be on the PFEC binder page. But um, after discussions with the city manager, we feel like council needs to see these feasibility studies and recommendations. So we'll be coming to council at a later date and making a presentation to you. But you can look at the presentations beforehand if you're interested. Um, we talked about our new legislators. We're going to call them B squared for Brian and Brian. Um, they've already been attending meetings with us, and we get to meet them in person on Thursday for the first time. And Councilmember Pascal will be happy to hear that we are meeting at 132nd to um, show them the hot. Hawk Crossing, so they can start um, advocating for that, and Joel will be in attendance to answer any questions. So we're working on that. Um, and then our legislative coffees start on November 14th. And then my last item, I forwarded to you all the SCA legislative priorities for PIC. Next week on Wednesday, we'll be discussing these again. We'll be taking a vote on them in December. Councilmember Falcone will be taking my place in December. It's my husband's birthday, and frankly, we know our family members give up a lot for us to serve, so I'm going to spend the evening with him. Um, you, I've struggled with this language, and um, so my current recommendation is that Kirkland abstains. We have been a voice for police reform and worked very collaboratively with our police chief, our judge, our legislators, in particular, uh, Senator Dingra and Rep Goodman on this. And um, I would like to hear your thoughts. If you're in agreement with um, me, or actually Councilmember Falcone, taking a vote to abstain. And I will provide feedback on Wednesday on our thoughts around that. So I'm. Oh, you can either say yes, I agree, or I'm opening up for any sort of feedback. Uh, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor, and thank you, Councilmember Curtis, for your bringing up this issue and, and your wise recommendation. I support Kirkland abstaining on this, but would encourage uh, Councilmember Falcone to make the same statements that you made in your email, so it's mm -hmm. clear where we stand. Excellent, um, Councilmember Pascal. Yeah, just to respond to your to your question, um, are you are you suggesting to abstain from the whole SCA legislative agenda or just that? Piece I think we're going to have to vote to abstain from the whole agenda. <clears throat> and I have shared my concern in previous meetings, and you saw in my notes that there's a strong voice that wants to reform police reform. Um, and I will again articulate our concerns mm -hmm. on uh, on. Wednesday, what I was paused, what I was going to say is it's really hard to take a position for all of us until we see these bills and we see the actual language in these yeah. bills. So I will share that on Thursday or Wednesday so that when um, Council Member Falcone takes her vote on in December, it won't be a shock to anyone. Uh, I guess my, my comment was I read the language and I kind of focused on the word clarify. That's what it's asking. It's asking for clarify. It's not saying reform. Mm -hmm. It's not specific in any in any detail. And so, I guess I'm, I'm just 
I'm just kind of wondering what harm does it do to clarify anything in this world, right? Um, it can be it can be helpful um, to clarify intent, to clarify language. So that's how I read it. Mm -hmm. I don't read it as strongly, perhaps, as others. So I, I it's my opinion that. Um, I mean, I guess you'll have to see how it goes, or Councilmember Falcone. But I just don't. I don't. I don't know that I would abstain from the whole legislative agenda for SCA. So that's that's my own personal opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, I actually agree. I th I think that there's no reason for us to weigh in. I think that. We have been cautious in our approach to our legislative agenda at, as a general rule. Um, and there is a whole lot of Blake discussion going on right now. Um, and I think it will actually serve us well to hear what, how this meeting goes next week. But I am hearing more specificity from folks around wanting to change um, the approach that has been already identified. So. I, I agree. Uh, Councilmember Black or? Uh, yeah, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, uh, I was going and looking at the, I'm sorry, I was trying to pull up the language. Um, um, what I would say is um, at the end of the day, uh, our council will I don't think our I don't think the city of Kirkland abstaining is going to um, impact uh, the uh, approach taken by the SEA, and uh, our council always reserves the ability and and uh, to examine bills when they are introduced in the legislature. Uh, ledge work group will be diligent in bringing those uh, anything of interest um, uh, to the attention of the council, and the council will have an opportunity to weigh in if there's a if there's a simple clarification that uh, this council and the and our police chief and uh, our you know, city staff uh, think uh, makes sense, we'll have an opportunity to discuss, debate, and, uh, and uh, approve it. So I feel like uh, this is, uh, I, I agree with the recommendation um, for that reason. Thanks. Any other discussion? All right, thank you, everyone. Are we done? Mm -hmm. Oh, all righty, Councilmember Falcone. Uh, nothing tonight, Madam Mayor. Thank you, Councilmember Pascal. Uh, nothing either. And Deputy Arnold? No report, thank you. Thank you. And the only thing I have to report is, because John's keeping you up to date with regard to MUPAC and, and water issues, um, there is a lot of pushback coming about your meeting on Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, and I heard it loud and clear at the Mayor's, North End Mayor's meeting today, the apprehension around 1220, and around language that's being tossed about with regard to penalties that could be imposed um, are, are loud and clear. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and, and I, you know, this is just, I know that our position is a little bit more, more liberal than, than um, a lot of other people's positions, but I was actually surprised at um, the level of, uh, angst that we're getting back from, and I admittedly, Bellevue, Mercer Island, the, the points, communities. Could you briefly okay, set the context here? I'm just completely... Oh, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> um, 
Well, do you want to talk about it from, from the yes, growth Council Yes, Councilmember Falcone yeah. is on the Affordable Housing Committee, and I am on the Growth Management Planning Council. The Affordable Housing Committee is making recommendations to create housing needs rather than targets, and that cities would be required because of HB 1220 to meet those needs. Um, the AHC is making recommendations to the GMPC. There's a number of uh, three methodologies for how those targets right. are, three options on how those targets are going to be achieved. There's a heated debate on whether the methodologies are accurate, whether it's impossible to, to reach these housing needs, not targets. Um, and we, and, and the conversation is about carrot versus stick. And I think that's where the mayor is hearing penalties. I have to be honest with you, we have not talked about penalties at all. So um, apparently that discussion comes from commerce. Okay, and that's not part of my meeting. So, um, and, and frankly, in the conversations that I'm having uh, with my fellow GMPC members is one, council's already adopted our own housing targets. And um, it's not something to be afraid of. It's, it's a goal. It's an aspiration. And we all, I feel strongly that we need to set these goals and aspirations so that we can communicate to our public where we're trying to go and where the need is. But there is, as the mayor rightly uh, presented it, there's a lot of angst around the idea of being held to any sort of real number. Yeah, I think the specific claim is that if Mercer Island were to get to, and I think it might be option three, but if they were to get that as their target, that would essentially wipe out um, their their growth targets, and they are tar targets at that point, would wipe out what they anticipate coming in entirely at 50% of AMI. And if it did, then there is a significant component of, um, of supplemental uh, funding that is going to have to happen. As a matter of fact, the estimates from Bellevue are at $9 billion uh, in terms of being able to create uh, 20,000 units of housing. So there's, it's panicky. It, it is there is, but one point of clarification, and I know Councilmember um, Curtis, you did a, a lovely job of kind of recapping the um, where we are on this, but um, cities don't necessarily have to meet the needs. They just need to plan for and accommodate, right? So the financial burden is not on cities with this process. I know. It's really on that just, aspect that is of it. not what they're hearing, and that is not what's being reinforced at the state level with regard to it being an expectation. And the state has punished the cities in the past for other, I mean, growth management. So that's how it's being received. Um, I, and I just wanted you guys, I know you guys are both very involved in it, and I'll be tuning into your meeting on Thursday. Um, but it is something that we're going to have to deal with. And I agree, it's not targets, it's, but that's the, that's the language it's being couched in, and it's the way it's being received by these just to be transparent, this is the need. The need isn't going to go away because, because we don't have we the number don't on a piece of paper. It's exactly. just reflecting this is the need. We need to plan for it. And then we all know, you know, it's a really big need and there's a huge gap. Well, and, and you brought this up, so I apologize no, for you're, you're, going cool. on. But, you know, we don't build housing. We create the opportunity for housing. 
And if we, uh, if when we adopt these needs, then we go back to the state and say, we need more tools. We need more financing. This is, these are the reasons that we're not meeting these needs. So there's, we still have to create, we, we have to create the environment that everyone understands what we're trying to, to accomplish. And I'm not arguing. I know. So I am, <laughs> what I'm hearing is. I'm just honing my argument yeah, for the next is what, it, it is what people are hearing. And that's, that, that, yeah. that's the reason why I brought it up tonight, because I know you're both so involved in it. So, yes. Deputy Mayor has a Deputy Mayor. comment. <laughs> one, one question. Are these being looked at as formal countywide planning policies that would be adopted? Mm -hmm. So just as a point of context in the discussions, countywide planning policies have to be ratified by the cities. And so I, uh, ratification, normally that's been a housekeeping kind of thing. A ratification fight could be pretty ugly. Yeah. Just as feedback. Oh, Thank you. what fun. <laughs> just a follow-up question. So in general, our practice has been to Establish zoning to allow the construction of affordable housing. So, are they talking about pro that we would have to prohibit any housing being built in certain areas that's not affordable? No, and I think it, that's what again. Yeah, one that's of the what they're fears. feeling. That's what they're this, feeling. It's because it, they're chasing it. Right? <clears throat> because okay. one of the cities who shall go nameless is 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 presenting the scenario that they've got to tear down all their single family housing to. Which is no. not going to happen, no. right? So, um, yeah. And I, I do want to add one more thing for whoever's listening in to this council. There's, a, there's also, and this was Councilmember Falcone's suggestion to do the pilot project. So five cities have volunteered to be part of this process to figure out how this is going to work. So it's not like all of this is going to happen overnight. Yeah, and the hope is that we'll have a mix of that pilot so that we can help you know, have a good example for others and to help alleviate some of those concerns and worries as well. And Kirkland. And, and Kirkland, of course. As volunteer to be part of the pilot. Hey, Kirkland. <laughs> okay, great. Well, thanks for that. And um, I think it's something we all need to pay attention to because I think it's going to be a real hot button, uh, particularly once the legislator get, legislature gets back in session. With that, uh, we will now be going into executive session to discuss potential litigation. What about uh, the city manager? It's our band. Oh, I think I'll do quick. him first. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, city manager. Go ahead. Uh, so the only reminder um, I want to give the council is that uh, SCA nominations are due <clears throat> coming up, and you've all been gracious about sending your um, issues and ideas. So the only potential conflict we have is potentially for the Regional Water Quality Committee. We've heard interests expressed by Councilmember Nixon and Councilmember Black. And Councilmember or Mayor Sweet is also looking at getting extended, so we're that's the one issue that we're trying to. <laughs> but it will be it, it will be up to them to decide whether they need to extend me. So I am also involved in the Seattle body of work that is evaluating the governance structure, and that work will continue through the first six months of next year. So I'm not sure, uh, you know, if they decide to extend me, I'd love to do it. Uh, if they don't, I'd rather one of you got on it than somebody from another council. So uh, Toby had asked the question, should should we apply or should I apply or should whoever apply? Um, and I'm just not exactly sure how to. I, yeah, I don't want to apply if that would make it harder for you to get an extension, right? I'd much rather you just get an extension. Right. 
I'd just like to know who I should call to convince them to give you an extension. <laughs> yeah. That would be me. Right. <laughs> I have a nomination member. So I'm on the SCA nominations committee. Last year we, we gave Mayor Sweet an extension because of the work that you've been doing, and it is going to be very difficult to fill her shoes. So my suggestion would be, and we're not meeting till December 1st, so my suggestion is for someone to reach out to the SCA executive director, David Hoffman, to find out about this extension before they go to the trouble of applying. Staff can do that. You want to do that? Okay. David started today. <laughs> okay. And then any calendar updates? That was my only topic. One, one item. One request. Um, we had some public comment earlier about the dog park yeah. at Snyder's Corner. It'd just be good to get some information on what was communicated, how that was communicated, and then kind of what the plan is for that kind of going into next year. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, with that, uh, we will now go into executive session to discuss potential litigation. We will expect to reconvene our regular meeting at approximately, let's see, it is 10.42. City Manager, how long do you think that's going to take? 20 minutes? 20 minutes? Sorry, 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Let's just say 11 o'clock. Um, at which time we will simply adjourn the meeting. Thanks, everybody. This is hard. Recording stop.